Welcome to Mr. Podcast with your host, Claude. And Justin. And Jen! What? We have our special guest, Jen, uh, here with us talking about the new movie, Dear White People. Um, which is apropos, because uh, we have two white people here, uh, <laughs> and a black person. So, um, that's all we need to talk about the movie. <laughs> That's what that's what it took to uh, to get me back as a as a guest again is to uh, to have a movie that was directed at me, yeah, at me to help of, uh, avert the the impending race wars, right? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this I, podcast is about togetherness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, Justin Simeon, the writer director, a friend of mine's uh, first movie. Um, a pretty awesome first movie uh, that I've seen from anybody in a really long time. You know, it always reminds me of when, like, Juno came out. And I was like, oh, Diablo Cody, and I watch it, and I go, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, it, the, that, that kind of hype of the, the overnight yeah. success that Hollywood wants to talk about or the oh, art, yeah. the the, per, the it person of the whatever mm-hmm. is usually um, – uh, doesn't doesn't measure up, but I think this measures up. Uh, this is a pretty pretty strong vision. More so than Juno. That's yeah, for sure. yeah. Take that. No, no, no offense to Juno, but uh, fuck Juno. Go baby and shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. No one cares. No one cares. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. I think, uh, if you haven't seen Dear White People, uh, I'd say go check it out. Uh, Dear White People, the movie.com, I believe is their website. And, uh, the, see the trailers online and everything. Uh, but let's, uh, let's, uh, let's dive into it. So I've seen the movie twice. I know, I kind of remember most of what's happening. You guys just saw it last week. Yep. Um, but, um, so yeah, let's open it up. What did, uh, what did you think? starting um i'm being looked at yeah so i okay well I, I will say that um i said setting aside the question of of the first movie because um as a as a first movie it was absolutely extraordinary um just in terms of uh a movie considered on it in its own merit i thought that um it was incredibly thoughtful and uh thought provoking and it really demanded that the audience pay close attention, which was really refreshing mm-hmm. and, uh, and really, um, is seriously, uh, question things about identity, characters, identity, one's own identity, how all these pieces fit together. Um, I will say that I very much appreciated and enjoyed the movie. I, however, felt all in all, like the, the film was kind of three or four movies crammed into one. And, uh, and that, that, uh, really speaks to the, the hunger and the, the lack of films that address these issues. Mm-hmm. And also the, the lack of films that, um, address identity issues in responsible and thought provoking ways that are respectful to the audience in general. So anyway, um, I very much enjoyed it. I really do want to go see it again to, uh, yeah, to, I don't know, revisit these questions and, mm-hmm. and air it out a little bit. But I really look forward to seeing what uh, Justin Simeon's going to do in the future. This is a really exceptional uh, start. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of pissed that it's so good. Uh, as an aspiring filmmaker myself, I, <laughs> I I wish people would set the bar lower. But right. That's not really good for anybody, but I just, uh, <laughs> that's just my own wish. Well, the rest of Hollywood is setting a really low bar for you. Uh, yeah, right. I did just see Vampire Academy, so I guess yeah, I was going to say the bar pretty low. <laughs> it beats. Uh, what was that? What was that line? Uh, uh... Don't spoil it. Yeah, don't, don't spoil the worst line. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, all right. Vampire Academy, okay. but um, yeah, Jen, I would agree with you that that there is a lot packed into the movie, and I think that that also speaks to kind of, you know, your point about the dearth of movies that deal with these issues, but also that I didn't, it didn't, to me, feel um, disjointed because there was so much packed in there, which I think is a, another kind of, uh, you know, skillful quality of the film. Yeah. I, I will say it didn't feel disjointed, but it did feel short, mm-hmm. and it, it, I, it definitely left me wanting to explore uh, these characters' lives more, yeah, and and I want to talk about that more during the main part of the podcast, just because the the identity issues that the different characters are dealing with are so complicated and so mm-hmm. interesting um, that there are a lot of generative questions to be posed there that I would have liked to uh, to have more on. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, what do you think, Justin? Well. Uh, yeah, I thought that it was very interesting. I mean, I, I don't go to the theater to see movies very often. The theater? Uh, the theater. <laughs> no. I mostly go to opera and ballet. <laughs> the highest form of art. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I really, uh, it's been a while since the last time I, I saw a movie in the theater. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that I think it's worth going for like this is why i would go to a movie in general i mean it's uh, an interesting uh experience it's it's really um it's really a movie that's pitched right in my uh sort of uh uh i don't know what's the word like zone of interest i'm not sure what to call it but like it's it's about uh several characters uh mm-hmm. whose whose lives are like Intersecting and in various can I, can ways. I, can I just tell you, Robert Altman was a huge influence on Justin for the for this movie. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, I could tell he's referenced in the movie, and you can see it um, really clearly. I think um, uh, so. That's I mean, that's just something I I enjoy. You know, before you show me anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I mean, I think the arcs of all the characters were quite interesting and, uh, the way they contrasted and bounced off each other was handled really well. Um, I, it was a very ambitious movie. Mm Um, I mean, yeah, especially for a first movie. I mean, I think, um, typically I think of first movies as being more like, um, you know, small, small in scope, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I, I, this movie really tried to do a lot, um, with the characters. And I think, yeah, I mean, if, if I had to, um, I don't know, if I had to criticize it, I would say that it's, you know, I, I was reading a lot of interviews um, with him to try to, like, understand, like, where this movie was coming from. 
and what some other, you know, um, influences and movies he watched. Because it definitely reminded me of other movies, including definitely Robert Altman. Um, and he mentioned in, in one interview that there was a, a 200 plus page version of this at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can definitely see that because, you know, the typical Robert Altman ensemble movie is three hours. You yeah. know, this, this clocks in at about an hour 40, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I did kind of wish to have more time with each character to to give more detail to their arcs because they have such uh big arcs you know some of the characters and some of those beats i felt like are are a bit rushed and i i just wish it could have developed because the movie has a very slow methodical pace and yet there are certain turns that just fly by and i wanted that part to i guess flow a little more Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that, that, like, there was a few story points that I was still a little bit, uh, unclear on, or I felt like should have been emphasized more or something. I mean, that, that's sort of the problem I had with the movie. Mm-hmm. But, but, but honestly, it was, uh, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I can't make a better movie than that. <laughs> well, I think it's a testament to the, to the film that I could imagine watching, uh, sort of a spin-off movie mm-hmm. from this, uh, for each of the, the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's just so, I mean, and again, this, this goes to the, to the fact, uh, of, of the lack of, of films, um, exploring black identity and, uh, you know, what, what, whether black identity actually even means anything like the intersectionality of identity mm-hmm. in, uh, in the real world and in, in the real lives of, of people, as opposed to the, the sort of flattened out ways that it is sometimes addressed in films. I mean, this is actually something, there are some pretty meta moments in the film where they talk about, uh, reality television or they talk about films, uh, and how they treat, uh, slash exploit, um, mm-hmm. this concept of black identity and the more marketable ideas. And they, they also do, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of conversation, uh, about, uh, between characters about how, uh, quote unquote black people themselves, like, embody this space of, uh, um, of enacting different stereotypes for different purposes, for different ends, and, and struggling with sort of the, you know, you have your own internalized identity, and then you have the identity that's constructed by people looking at you yeah. and, and projecting their own ideas on you. So it's, it's, uh, I mean, there's just a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Justin has talked about, uh, wanting to continue, ideally continuing the, these characters in a, in a TV show, uh, which I think is the perfect place mm-hmm. to really, uh, see where these characters would, would get to. One of the things I really like is, even though the characters have, I mean, some characters change more than others, or find a, a, a version of themselves, uh, that's different from how they started out. But what I really like is just the real, the realism of, the, the, the movie takes place in a short amount of time, and these, these kids are still in college, they're still figuring things out, no one has all the answers by the end of the movie, and they shouldn't. 
um, because who in their 20s has figured anything out? You know, mm-hmm. why should they in a movie? You know, so I, I really like that that was kind of where we end up with the characters is, you know, some a better sense of self or at least an I, an idea of who they might want to be, but but not really having everything figured out. And, and that's why a TV show, I think, would be a great medium for telling these stories over a longer period of time and, uh, you know, seeing seeing what, what would happen to these characters with um, – and a lot of more varied uh, circumstances and situations. Um, but, yeah, just my own two thoughts about the movie. I, I really enjoyed it, like I said before. Um, it's um, – it, it is really interesting to see – the themes that are brought up, um, the ideas that are brought up and how they're tackled, um, the, uh, concept of, you know, identity. And, and like you were saying, um, the construct you have internally and what you battle externally is so interesting to kind of see being played out. Um, one of the, the, one of the things I really like about the movie is how it looks visually and, and sort of the visual motifs that were happening and, and seeing a movie the second time, I noticed that in the opening sequence, when you see all of the four characters, they're all shot with the with the with the with the actor in the middle of the frame and two lights on either side of them, uh, and you get this strong sense of you know poles them being pulled in, in in two directions, which is kind of the big idea of the movie. Which side, which version of themselves or society are they going to side with as the you know story progresses? And I, so I just thought, like, wow, even from the very beginning, this movie is telegraphing, you know, what, you know, so sort of the emotional landscape of what these characters are going to go through, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, do you guys want to talk more about the, the story or specifically or any specific characters? Uh, it might be helpful to give just a quick uh, synopsis of what happens in the film. Sure. Um, well, the story's about um, uh, about four main characters uh, on a college campus, predominantly white, uh, like Ivy League campus. Um, it, it basically is... I guess the, the first part of the movie, uh, we see these characters as they're sort of reacting to a, um, a blackface party that happens on campus, and then we kind of flash back and see the lead-up to that party, which is the bulk of the movie. Um, the title, Dear White People, comes from a radio show that uh, one of the main characters, Sam White, does. She plays... Uh, she's basically a sort of militant uh, um, head strong, uh, stubborn um, person who feels she has a sort of uh, stamp on black identity and, and, and how that relates to whites and then uses a radio show to kind of uh, provoke and um, talk about those issues. Um, you know, one of the classic lines of the movie being, uh, dear white people, the 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 new minimum uh, number of black friends to not seem racist has been increased to two, you know, things like that. Very tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, the movie's obviously a satire. Um, so it, and it, it works really well with, uh, within that landscape. Uh, then we also have Troy, 
um, whose father is uh, dean of students, and he has a lot of parental pressure to be a certain kind of person and to succeed in a certain kind of world. Uh, but he uh, just basically, and so he's. I think when the movie starts, he's um, he's the head of one of the houses on campus, the the, the basically all black uh, housing uh, unit, and he's running a um, he's in a race to you know, re- be re-nominated head of house against Sam White, uh, who is kind of the underdog in the race. She ends up winning and becomes head of house. Uh, we learned through the movie that there was some uh, trickery into how that happened. Um, but uh, so Troy is a head of house. He, you know, his father has these high expectations of him, but all he really wants to do is uh, write comedy. He wants to be on the uh, campus uh, comedic magazine Pastiche, which is run by Kurt, who is the son of um, the president of the university. And another great little character uh, choice is the president of the university and the dean, who's Troy's father, are rivals. So you get this kind of generational rivalry that's mirrored between uh, the, the, the two fathers and the two sons. Um, and it might be uh, it might be worth pointing out at this point that the president is, and his son are both white. Yes. The dean and his son are black. Yes. Um, and then we have. Um, um, spacing on his name, uh, Lionel. Lionel, thank you. Yeah, we have Lionel, who is um, uh, the kind of outsider in, in, in all of these different worlds. He's he's a black guy. He's gay, um, and he's he doesn't like labels though, so he wouldn't take that label. But um, he's struggling to find his identity. He gets um, assigned to live in the uh, the dorm where Kurt and his sort of all-white friends live and torment him. Um, and so he's, he is, so the kind of bulk of the driving of the story is um, uh, the, the conflict between uh, Sam White and Troy uh, and with uh, Lionel being um, uh, requested by... Uh, one of the campus, uh, I guess the campus newspaper, is interested in uh, this, this story here. So Lionel is kind of being tasked to be a reporter and kind of figure out what's going on with these students. Um, and that's kind of his, how his perspective comes into play. Um, and I feel, I feel like I'm forgetting another character. So Coco. Coco. Coco, of course. Coco. You can't <laughs> forget about Coco. Coco. Yeah, see, I'm cheating because I'm looking yeah, at Yeah, we're Wikipedia. looking at the Wikipedia page. Nice. Good. <laughs> Someone should be doing it. Uh, so, yeah, then we have, of course, Coco, who is uh, another black character who has a completely almost diametrically opposed view of black identity to uh, to Sam White, where she's more of an opportunist, um, and she is trying to, uh, her story is basically, she's trying to get her own, uh, she's trying to get cast on a reality show. She does a web uh, series on her own, um, but she is being told by the casting producer that she needs to spice up what she's doing and be more interesting. So she decides to get in the thick of this uh, kind of controversy on campus around Sam White and the uh, pastiche people, uh, Kurt and his friends. Um, 
and which leads basically to uh, this big um, party at the end of the film where um, someone it's, – it's a bit of a mystery, uh, purposefully designed of a mystery. Someone sends out this very racist uh, party invitation that basically says, hey, we're going to have a hip-hop party, but come dress as your favorite black person. And uh, that's kind of the climax of the film uh, where uh, these – uh, rich white kids are basically uh, dressed up as these black characters and people, and uh, and and having this this party that's kind of mocking black culture, and um, very stereotyped. Very yeah, very he- heavily stereotypical characters and images, and you have um, you know you have Sam White there who comes to investigate uh, what's going on, and you have Coco who's there investigating. Uh, you know, and, and what I really love about kind of that, that the end of the movie is, is a question that, that Coco ponders, which is basically, you know, um, um, she basically says, you know, why do white people inject, you know, make their lips bigger and their asses bigger and tan their skin? You know, they're trying to be like us, but then on the, on the flip side, you know, why are black women addicted to blonde Barbie doll weaves, which is, which she's actually wearing in the, by the end of the movie, you know, so it's this really interesting question about, you know, what is culture and, and who, who gets to claim it? You know, who gets to decide who owns what and can use what and, and what does it mean if you use something that's, you know, quote unquote, not from your culture? Um, and is it bad to do so? Um, and I, one of the big things I like about the film is it, it just asks those questions. It doesn't really prescribe any remedies for race issues in America, uh, which is smart. <laughs> to do because uh you can't really just uh, uh, solve it in, in 90 minutes yeah. uh but well, it, but it asks these questions that i think are, are very much worth asking and, and i think that that i i think none of the questions that are posed in in the film are simple questions and that question is one of the one of the stickier ones and and the fact that she you know she's looking into the camera and, and at that point you know that's very close to the end of the movie yeah and, you know, at that point, you know, we've seen this tension within the black community at the university between the sort of radical activist um, faction, which is represented by Sam White, the, the young woman who has the radio program, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Troy, the, the son of the dean, who, who's really more about, you know, playing the game in the traditional Ivy League kind of way, you know, getting the right internships and all that. And so you've seen this um this tension start to play out um and uh and and in in sticky sticky ways and then at the end of the film you know you you see this party that that is shown in the very beginning of the film and that is modeled after parties that seem to happen all the time Mm -hmm. uh in real life at at colleges and universities in in america where where people seem to think that it's uh, funny or I'm not, I'm not sure what, um, entertaining to embody, uh, racist stereotypes mm-hmm. for their own amusement. Um, and so we were at this party and then this, uh, this young woman, Coco, who, uh, who has been sort of characterized as kind of, um, kind of a sellout by some of the, some of the black students. Yeah, it's just to be pointed out, you know, she wears weaves, she wants the straight hair look, and she wears blue eye contacts, you know, so she is, in, in, a, in certain ways, trying to, you know, she's the character who's, who's sort of trying to distance herself 
from her perceived blackness. You know, she says things like, I'm not really interested in black guys, or he's, you know, as, uh, to Troy, about Troy, you know, he's cute, dot, 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 for a black guy. You know, so mm-hmm. there's this, this kind of, uh, separation that she's, uh, battling, uh, with, with, with her identity and how she wants to be perceived. Right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say that, that then in the end, after this party has sort of exploded and this, this party that, you know, she had volunteered, she was eager to be a part of because she thought it was going to put her on the map, um, and help advance her, her chances of, of being part of this reality show that she wanted, you know, she sees that this is a disaster and that this is not what, you know, this is beyond the pale. She does not want to be a part of this. And there she is standing with these blue contacts and this blonde wig. And, and she's asking herself, you know, what, you know, why am I wearing this stuff? Why are they wearing this stuff? You know, mm-hmm. all, you know, they wanted, and she has a line. I wish that I had the script in front of me. I wish I, I knew exactly what the line was, but it was, um, you know, they wanted to, they want to be black for one night yeah, and they, they just, got to, yeah, they want to be like us for one night and they got to like, she's basically saying, what's wrong with that? What's wrong if they want to be, uh, black for a while, what's wrong if a black person wants to be white for a while or in some way or to some degree, um, which, which, like I was saying, like that's an interesting question about culture and 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 you know we live we obviously obviously these are things we we all deal with but um, you know one of the other big sort of topical things that goes on is uh, cultural appropriations you know mm-hmm. is you know when a white person wears a Native American headdress for a costume or just for fashion okay what is is that wrong what what is that to take mm-hmm. someone's culture and history for a fashion accessory. Right, and I think that I think that posing the question is an interesting choice from the filmmaker because in the context of this of this party, I mean, I think you you see, I mean, there it's it's one thing to go to a tanning bed or to get, uh, you know, a few years ago it was really popular for white women to get their hair braided in cornrows. I mean, that that is appropriation, and you know, you can have we could talk for hours and hours about what that means and you know, whether that's okay and what does it even mean to be okay. But it's very different. I mean, the sort of party that they were having is not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and then there's the the power dynamic. Uh, I I would argue that, you know, a, a, a black woman wearing blue contacts and a blonde wig you know that that appropriation of of whiteness does not have the same. I mean, I would argue doesn't have the same uh, effect that it isn't the same kind of mm-hmm. thing as the reverse. Yeah, and it's and that's a, and this is where you get into the really really. I mean, it's all sticky and tricky, but the really muckety muck of mm-hmm. racism versus reverse racism, and what you know what is racism versus what's prejudice. And, uh, and bigotry and and the line that Sam has uh, what's, what's really interesting about Sam's character is she's someone who outwardly speaks these sort of defiant and very defined beliefs but doesn't necessarily uh, believe them internally and that's sort of what her struggle is throughout the story um, is she she is to a degree fine being 
uh, being the symbol uh, for this progressive movement of, of blackness and and sort of uh, stemming the tide of the whiteness that 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 they feel like is um, is diluting uh, their culture on campus. You know, part of the subplot is the, this randomized housing act that's going to go on so that they can't just have one one house that's all black students. They're going to ran- the college is going to randomize the housing, which will dilute their their you know quote unquote their culture. So that's kind of the thing that she that she's rallying against. So it's interesting, you know, she she's someone who's outwardly kind of spouting these beliefs, and one of the things she says is, uh, you know, that, that people uh, will disagree with is is uh, black people can't be racist, you know, and as she defines racism as opposed to prejudice is racism is a system, you know, a construct in which one type of people benefit to the detriment of other types of people. And within that definition of racism, black people are not the beneficiaries of this system, therefore they cannot be the, the, the perpetrators of that system. And I think that goes to your point about the power dynamic is not equal. You know, a black person in a, with blue eyes and and straight hair or a white blonde wig or whatever is not – it doesn't have the same kind of impact that a white person in blackface or doing a, a black thing has because I think of that system that she talks about, the structure. You know, who's on top of this pyramid matters when you're talking about the, the people involved in the system. Right. And and I would also just want to say for the record that I think that there are some things that I wouldn't, that I personally wouldn't necessarily label racist, but I would still say you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think when we talk about cultural appropriation, like I, I think that there's a really difficult gray area of, of things where I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm willing to say like, yes, I am the authority who can say that that is racist. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, but I would say like, you know, there are things you just shouldn't do. Yeah, and it's and it's so it's it's it is a gray area. It's tricky to kind of figure that out, and especially when there's no perceived malice. You know, obviously with the with this, you know, blackface party or whatever. I forgot how they call it, what they called it, but the, the you know these things that do happen in real life on campuses where there mm-hmm. there is malice, there is a tinge yeah. of uh, superiority going on. Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah. just using these images, like you said, for entertainment. But then 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 there's also the other sort of more minor cultural appropriations where like I, like I said someone using a native american headdress there, there there's not necessarily malice involved there um, it could be a reverence for the culture uh, but but if you don't belong to that culture now you are posed with the question of is this something you should do right you know which is which is a really you know it's a really interesting interesting way you know and it's basically like well if you don't want to offend anybody just don't do it altogether um, but, yeah, no, but I think that's not necessarily the right solution to, to have in every situation. Well, and I think that that that's the kind of thing that you know opens uh, it opens people up to criticism from uh, from social conservatives who who say like, oh, well, it's the PC police, mm-hmm. which I, is why I think that we should have discussions about what me, what might be wrong with. Um, with certain things. Like, I, I remember a few years ago, uh, Urban Outfitters got into trouble because they were selling some product that some uh, article of clothing that was like a Native American pattern, mm-hmm. uh, which is protected by law from, uh, it's basically like copywritten or something. And, 
And, you know, like, the, the question is, you know, is some 18-year-old girl who's just buying this skirt, like, does she consider this insulting? Does she even think about it? Or does she just finds it aesthetically interesting? Yeah. And what does that mean? Yeah. Um, but anyway, what were you, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to linger on, um, I was going to linger on Coco a little bit because, uh, at least for me, uh, Coco was the most interesting character in the movie. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, she was, um, the, uh, Tiona Paris knocked that roll out of the park, but on paper, Coco is, is just fascinating. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, I liked the other three characters a lot, um, but I feel like they had, I guess, I guess she had the most ambiguity for me. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that was what made her the most interesting, whereas I feel like in the others, I had more clear sort of types, and, like, there was a more clear arc for Mm -hmm. the other characters, whereas her arc was a little bit unclear to me. Yeah, I don't think we've seen a Coco before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've seen these other characters. I don't think we've seen a Coco before. Exactly. Yeah, and that was unique. And and so like, there's this there's this sequence early on in the movie, and this is another thing like I I wanted more on somehow, but where she I guess she had like so she she's trying to be recruited by this reality TV show, mm-hmm. and um, she's got this like uh, YouTube series I, I guess yeah something like this, and uh. You know, she, uh, there's, there's a point where she goes on and she goes and looks and I guess, uh, dear white people, like Sam's like a radio show has a online component or she looked at the Facebook page. I'm not sure what it yeah. was exactly. Yeah. I think anyway. She was posting her videos online too or something like that. Yeah. And she notices that the dear white people thing, which is, you know, saying these very, in your face, like pronouncements about, you know, hey, white people, like, blah, 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 do this, do that, you know, th- th- pointing out all these messed up things that people do and stuff like that, you know, very like in your face. Anyway, she notices that it's got way more views than her video does. Yeah. And as a response to that, she, she, she gets on and she makes a video where she goes on this like rant and she starts it off by saying, I'm going to get real black on y'all or whatever. She says something like that. Mm-hmm. And she goes on this rant about how like, uh, this, uh, this like white, uh, girl earlier in the movie had like asked if her hair was weaved or something. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not weaved like a ver, you know, it's weed, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she goes on this long rant and, that video ends up getting a lot more views. Yeah. And I wasn't 100% sure what the movie was saying with that. So the whole point was was what the reality show casting guy or producer told Coco, which was that, you know, you can't... Conflict. Yeah, conflict, conflict, conflict. That's what we need. Conflict, but also the performance of a, of a very white concept of blackness. Like this thing of like, I'm gonna get real black on y'all. You know that this. Uh, yeah. Because it, it's not just the conflict. Well, that might have been that might have been Coco's version of conflict. Like, because that's kind of what Sam was doing. So maybe that's maybe the idea is she was trying to borrow what Sam was doing there. But I think the idea was her her video series was was non confrontational. So mm-hmm. she decided she wanted to have more conflict and have more confrontation and and that's kind of how she starts it out by saying you know i'm gonna get black on you and tell you kind of the real deal and not sort of sugarcoat what's going on you know yeah but but there 
No, I, I agree with that. But there's also a theme in the in the movie of um, of people being interested in watching performances of quote unquote blackness. Mm-hmm. You see this with. Um, they they mentioned sort of the the Tyler Perry franchise mm-hmm. and uh and you see this when Troy goes to that um like poker game night at the the white um uh i guess it's like a white house or it's the yeah it's where all the curtain his pastiche right. magazine friends right yeah. where he um and they, and they have an, an overdub of Sam talking about, I forget what the word is, but an overdub of, of Sam talking about, uh, this, this, you know, label for this particular set of characteristics. Oh, right. Or, or, or uh, Oofta, something like that. Isn't that it? No? You're, I don't remember. Well, crazy? She, she did, no. she did distill like the three types of black people basically. Right. Um, Ufta was one of them. I think that was that was the like doing the jazz for white people, something like that. Yeah, I believe that's the person. I think they were. I think that was supposed to be Troy, someone who yeah modulates. Right. That's what I was saying. Right, right, right. but determining uh, for what environment they're in. Yeah. Right. So, so this idea that you know he's sitting there at this table playing cards with. Uh, with a group of, of white guys and as opposed to the Troy who we have been seeing throughout the movie, who's basically, I mean, he, he doesn't talk about his black identity. He doesn't, uh, get into, uh, get into identity politics with Sam. He just is doing the Ivy League game, you know? Uh, but then here he is sitting at this table and he wants to win these people over. Yeah. And so he starts performing this, uh, this notion of blackness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's going to be the black guy if that's what they're interested in him for. Exactly. And, th- and that's what wins them over. Yeah. And, and so I think, like, yes, it is the, the video that Coco makes, um, it is about conflict, but there is also very much this theme in the film about the performance of blackness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in quotes. Yeah, and that goes back to what they were talking about in reality shows of, of casting uh, uh-huh. uh, black people who are going to uh, be very um, in your face and, and have conflict and and not be nice and polite and quiet and chill, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's definitely that, too. But that, that's why I thought it was it was interesting because um, uh, I mean you know as we talked about like Coco's thing about like wearing the wearing the weave and the contacts and trying to assimilate to some extent. But the video that's popular is the one where she plays up her blackness, and not only that, dear white people is popular. You know, it's like what does that mean? Like I, I just I found that to be a point I was stuck on for a long time and I still don't fully understand what I'm supposed to take away from that. It's like, it's like, we, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So wait, so re, what, can I say? what you're saying, what's the, what's the question? Like, like I just, I, I don't, I mean, maybe there's not like a main point that I'm supposed to get from it, but I just thought it was curious. The idea that, you know, um, if she's just uh, doing whatever she was doing before, like that wasn't catching people's attention as much as her playing up her blackness. But also, dear white people, the online version was 
was very popular. Like, yeah. like people want to hear this. Like, what does that mean? Like, I, it seems like that's almost counter to the movie. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand well, like think, why they made a point that Dear White People is really popular online. Well, to me, I think the point was the conflict. Dear White People had conflict. It's going to have people talking about it. Whether you agree or disagree, people are going to chime in. And that's, that is a main idea of our... So it doesn't matter what they're saying. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just it's, the it's, fact it's, that... You know, it's, it's Bill O'Reilly. It's, it's Bill Maher. I mean, it's people who say inflammatory things will get listeners and views. I think to me that's that's the first main idea, but then I, I and then I think the second idea is you know what you guys were saying about uh, her playing up her blackness as a as a performance and as something people want to see. Uh, and again, it go I think I think they're hand in hand that that idea of conflict and the blackness you know in terms of this reality show she's going for and the reality show culture i think is what they were really getting at is those two things go hand in hand these people who are playing up stereotypical notions of blackness thereby creating conflict are people who get cast and that's kind of basically what she did you know she could have i mean i think cuz because basically coco could have maybe done something else that was inflammatory but not played up her blackness and maybe there would have been a different outcome we don't know that but because they didn't do that uh so but so it was kind of played hand in hand but i think in terms of what the story was going for with her her specific journey of trying to get on this reality show it was saying conflict is key and that's what that guy wanted and that's what she was trying to go after in the movie is how do i how do i drum up the conflict and 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 a key to doing that, presumably, is to is to play up uh, these no- this notion of blackness. Yeah, um, but yeah, also like the reality producer wanted to recruit Sam, mm-hmm. you know, and the idea like I just imagine like Sam being approached, you know, especially as she is early in the movie, like, hey, do you want to be on a reality TV show to be like the angry black character? Like, you know, like the idea that like that would be something she would want to do is just kind of ridiculous, you know? And, well, and I think and if it was a platform for her ideas, she would be into it. I, I think if you pitched it to her, you want to be the angry black character, she'd say no, but yeah. If this- and I think there's a throwaway line that she said, she, no. Yeah. She said no emphatically, but I mean, the, she's too smart to, yeah, she doesn't, yeah. Was- Platform. Yeah, she doesn't, and that's and that's the the difference between her and Sam, Coco and Sam is that that sellout factor or that stardom uh, thing that people that's very pervasive in, in in our youth culture is this idea of I just want to be famous. Mm-hmm. I don't really care how it happens. I don't care what my image ends up looking like by the end of it. I just want to be famous at all costs, and that's kind of the driving force behind Coco's character is, is at what, at what price is she willing to be, you know, the first step of her wanting, you know, uh, of the cost is, um, she wants to increase the conflict on her, uh, in her web series so she can get more views. So she, she plays up her blackness. She talks about something she wasn't going to talk about before, you know, uh, and that worked, you know, and so she keeps going down that level. What else, what else am I going to do to, uh, to, to get to this goal of being a star, you know what I mean? And it takes her all the way to 
being part of Pastiche, agreeing to co, you know, to sort of MC this this party that everyone else would agree is in, in poor taste at the very least. Um, but she's willing to do that, for, you know, to be a star, you know. And it's not until she sees what the party really is that she, you know, literally has to take a step back and say, okay, well, what is this? What's what is this really worth? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a genius line at the end that I will not uh I will not spoil between her and Troy about about that where where she is in in terms of the the search for fame. Yeah. Um uh but we we talked a lot about Coco. I wonder if we should talk about some of the other characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I wanted to linger on <laughs> no, that cuz yeah, like I for agree. me that was the most like difficult part of the movie for me to like figure out like and I I think that's why I found it the most interesting but like I I spent a lot of time trying to understand her scenes it made me want more of them but yeah I think I think she's great but yeah we can definitely talk about the other characters mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no Coco's spectacular and, and again like I said you, we we haven't really seen this version of Coco uh or a character that's that's like Coco who's willing to say these things it's like you shouldn't say that you're black you know mm-hmm. you shouldn't you no know, you should be like sam or you should uh get in line like troy or you should hide yeah. like lionel um yeah. you know but she has this 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 alternative uh version of um you know her her militantness or her you know steadfast ideas about what she wants and how she's going to express it is and she's unapologetic about it you know that's the thing is um um, she said she gets to say things that you know a white person couldn't say in this movie. You know, you wouldn't have uh, Sophia, who is Troy's uh, Troy's white girlfriend, who is Kurt's sister. You know, Kurt being the the son of the president. You couldn't have Sophia say, "Well, Troy is really attractive for a black guy." You yeah, know, yeah, that's yeah. a completely different. I mean, maybe she could say that if they're making a race a point. But she could say that, but it would mean something different. It would mean something different. But when Coco says that, it's like, oh my god! Like, what does that mean for your own identity if that's yeah. how you view, you know, uh, view him or someone like him? Um, I mean, it, it's. I mean, but it's so interesting to see a character like that, a, a character who unabashedly says things like that. Yeah. I've had I've had girlfriends who were black who said things like that. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing; these people exist, and yeah, and you don't see them in films. Yeah, and what I love about Coco is she doesn't hide from the other black characters. She's in the same black dorm. She eats in the same cafeteria. Yeah, she eats with her back to Sam White, and she doesn't. She's not a part of Sam White's group. But she's not hiding her viewpoints and and her and how she wants to look and how she wants to express herself. Uh, you know, she doesn't care what other people think, uh, and and she'll tell you that to your face. Yeah. But let's talk about some less interesting characters. No. Okay. <laughs> uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> On to the boring ones. No, not really. Um... No boring characters. <laughs> no. No. I was watching this thing that somebody had posted on on Facebook that was a, a clip from I guess Gwen Eiffel had moderated some uh, some discussion about titled After Ferguson and uh, there was just an excerpt oh, yeah. of this little kid giving this absolutely incredible expression like he had this amazing look on his face in response to this um, this defensive a historical shit that this uh, this white guy was saying about yeah i think i saw uh, that yeah and so it's um 
you know, the, the, the kid, the look on the kid's face is, is priceless. But I mean, in general, like the discourse that's happening at that moment between the, the, the community organizer, the head of a nonprofit or, or whatever, um, and then this white guy who I don't actually remember what his title was. I don't remember why he was. Random white guy. Uh, I have no yeah. idea. Mr. White Guy. <laughs> yeah. I have no he, idea what you know, he was he supposed had to be. A, there was some reason why he had some kind of title. He had a title. There was some reason yeah, why I didn't he really was. Pay yeah, I saw that. I think I saw. That's the only clip I. I meant to go back and watch the whole thing, but I only saw that that section. Yeah. I'm sure that it's incredibly frustrating. It's you know I I was on um uh some webs oh they were there was a uh site there was an article talking about um now I'm forgetting his name but the the guy who was in a manhunt over in Massachusetts or something. Um, like this white guy who had killed some cops and there's like a 48 day manhunt for him. And they, they just today or yesterday, Eric Frayne, I think, or something like that was his name. Oh, I saw that name, but I didn't know what the story was. Yeah. So it was, it was very similar to, to the Dorner situation where it was a person who was a black guy in California who killed some cops and they, there was like a 12 day manhunt or something for him. Uh, and you can guess that the black guy ended up getting getting killed in this thing, but the white guy who did basically the same thing uh, ended up being taken, apprehended with no problem, and, right. and taken into custody. He did not die, and so I was on this site and um, reading some of the comments. and And one of the things I posted because this guy brought up, he, this guy was saying he had he was talking to a friend of his who was white, and and uh, was talking about DUIs. And now his white friend had related stories where he would be caught driving under the influence and police officers would never write him up for it and actually just escort him home. And his black friend says, wow, that's crazy. That would never happen to me. And his white friend refused to believe that he got this treatment based on his race. You know, so my, my, my response to this, this post was it, it, it must be like, I, I have, I can, I have the ability to empathize and say it must like the guilt you might, you know, someone might have over saying, "I get a privilege that other people don't have by virtue of nothing that I've done, other right. than being born." Like I, I can see how you would want to deny that, you know. So we get this definitely of like reverse racism, or there's no racism, or everybody's racist, or whatever you want to say. That's really not what the truth is. Um, and it's but but it's because you don't want to like so that's what this guy in this this uh, after Ferguson thing was basically he didn't right. want, he doesn't want to admit that the world is unfair and it's like something in our I can understand something in our brain wants the world to be fair you know uh, and and it, it, it it's cognitive dissonance when we see uh, you know evidence to the contrary and it's but it's really it, it makes the situation worse. When the people who are benefiting from this system want to deny they benefit from the system, that's just like that's the worst response you can have to the system. Right. And and I mean, we'll never get past it until we acknowledge that it exists. And, you know, I, I don't think that I mean, yeah, as you said, nobody wants to believe that they uh, that they receive privileges uh, that they haven't earned. Mm hmm. You know, and that that it comes at the expense of other people who have not 
unearned. They haven't done anything to lose the uh, the privilege, right? I mean, no one wants to believe that. But just not wanting to believe... So, there's plenty of well, stuff that I don't want to believe. Yeah. But not wanting to believe it doesn't make it go away. But, you know, it's funny because expand that idea out, and that is really the difference between liberals and conservatives, right? Like, climate change, evolution, mm-hmm. uh, what happens in life and death. Like, this idea of a thought that makes you nervous and you just your response to it is to deny it you know that that this the brain the, yeah. there's a kind of brain that will accept that and the kind of brain that does it there's a kind of brain that says i can deal with the fact that life is unfair i can deal with the fact that i don't know what happens after we die i can deal with the fact you know uh, 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 that, that that bad things happen we have no control over and then there's another brain that says i can't deal with that well, I think that there are lots of brains out there among, you know, white liberals who, like, can go there on a lot of issues, but they cannot go there on race because yeah. of this defensiveness. But what they, what they don't seem to get is that it's not, there's not necessarily an incompatibility between saying, like, you know what, this exists, and I do benefit from this, and, like, I think it's really shitty, and I don't, I... I don't seek to actively exploit this privilege, but I accept it and I don't actively seek to dismantle it. And like that doesn't, I mean, nobody's saying to this guy, like you're walking around in, in a white sheet burning crosses in people's home in front of people's homes. But like you are accepting privilege. Well, that, but... Oh, go ahead. No, and and I just I think that it will nothing will ever change until a critical mass of white people can say, look, you know what? It makes me feel sick to my stomach, but you're right, it exists well, because okay. I've no, I mean just, just to, to the thing about the about the DUI. There have been plenty of times when I, because the legal limit is really low, and there have been times when I know that I've been driving above the legal limit, which is something that I would never be. You know, not that I felt like I was not driving safely, mm-hmm. but you know, I wouldn't ha- if I had had to do a breathalyzer, I probably wouldn't have passed. And that's something that I would not be comfortable doing as a black person mm-hmm. because just being black puts me at a higher risk of being pulled over. Yeah. And, you know, this is true of so many things. I mean, I thought about this a lot when we were hunting for, for houses. You know, things that if I were a, a black person or a Latino person, behavior that would be labeled suspicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, getting out and walking around a vacant property. Yeah. You know, as and a, that's what that, and that's really where it's at. It's those really simple things. You know, when you talk about privilege, it's those really, really simple things you you, you people take for granted. And then you can it, it is this and you know, and sexism too. Like these these areas where this one little innocuous, you know, mostly innocuous thing that someone can be doing is viewed completely differently based on who they are, what they look like. So mm-hmm. yeah, so if you're going around and you're trying to inspect the property and you may be Oh, look to see if the windows have any damage, or you want to go check the bag. Yeah, if you're if you're um, you know a, a white woman doing it versus a black guy doing it, you're going to get two different responses to to what's Absolutely. happening there. Absolutely, yeah, and, and it's those those kind of things that go unseen, and and you know, but that's the thing when you're talking about change. Like change is exactly the problem, is because when you accept the notion. Like it, so, say you're a white person who accepts that white privilege exists and that we live in a racist system, and if you really accept that, 
on a fundamental level, that's a call to action. That means that you can no longer have your head in the sand. You understand the world a certain way, and you are it's incumbent upon you to do something about it. not to like be an activist or go full board on anything, but just your daily now you have to think about it, right? Just like you're saying, now you have to think about it because you understand the you have this different viewpoint of the world. So now when you're in a certain situation, you have the your your mind goes through an extra mental process and says, Well, what would this be like if I was this kind of person? You know, so it's that kind of thing that people I think don't want to they don't want to take the first step to accept it because there's all this other baggage that's gonna come along with accepting it that's tough to just accept and say, well, now I have to change my ways, or now if I get pulled over to DUI, I'm going to have to feel guilty if the cop mm-hmm. doesn't write me up, you know what I mean? And, right. why, and why should I have to feel guilty about something that I had no control over? Right, right. And never mind the fact that, it'll, like, the consequence of the other side, the consequence of inaction uh, is, you know, open season on young black men in this country. Mm-hmm. And you know the the fact that white people don't want to be made uncomfortable encourages apathy that costs people their lives yeah. it costs community stability it it's it's i mean it runs so deep mm-hmm. i mean yeah. dismantling it would not be easy it just if if everybody woke up tomorrow and was like you know what right white privilege exists i understand it finally mm-hmm. you know like if we like gave everybody we put it in the water like understanding of what white privilege means you know we would still all wake up having watched you know the criminal black man on television shows and on the news mm-hmm. and you know this is the thing that we were just talking this morning and, and because based on this after ferguson clip about how when those cops showed up at that walmart you know they had been told and that was here in ohio that was not far from here they had been told by you know the the 911 caller that this guy was waving a gun at children yeah you know, and that he was loading his gun. Yeah. And they show, this is what they've been told. And this guy, the 911 caller, saw that, quote unquote. I mean, he did nothing. You watch the surveillance footage. He did nothing that looked like that. Yeah. But he saw that because of what he sees on TV all the time, what he sees in movies. It's, yeah, it, it's a loaded, it's, it's, it, the, are, the images of people come loaded with these stereotypes. And I mean, obviously, as you know, they've done, they've done tests, psychological, sociological tests and, how people perceive other people, other different races. And, you know, it's tribalism at a very fundamental level. But, but yeah, a white guy with a toy gun in a store does not look the same to a white person as a black guy with a toy gun in a store. And, how you know, and it goes back to what people say about eyewitness accounts and how your mind fills in blanks Mm -hmm. and and makes up stuff and change the color of a car. And, you know, so it's like, so, and this guy was just wrong. That's the other thing, too, is he was just so wrong and it cost someone their life. He basically committed a crime by reporting like a false report but right false reporting the cost like as this guy's life not gonna be held accountable for that at all um you know but it's like it it, it's so crazy that you you see something innocuous and you go oh my god that's a dangerous situation you know and and it'd be yeah completely different if this guy had you know the gun wasn't even out of the package he wasn't waving at anybody he wasn't even holding it because it was like still in the package you know so there's ways where you could have understood that situation if it was more accurate to, to what he called it in. 
Um, you know, but it was so far from what he reported. And then, you know, then when you have a militarized police force who who can kill with impunity, then, then you know, you just, it just makes it all worse. Yeah. Ugh. So, all right, well, I don't think we're going to solve it. No, no, no. But, I mean, this is all goes to what Dear White People is talking about. Um, there you go. That's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is all this is all wrapped up. I mean, the movie wasn't about that particularly, but it's uh, the the general themes are there. You know, race and identity, yeah. and how people perceive you, and how you want to be perceived. Um, but uh, so, you guys want to talk about uh, talk about Troy? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Troy, go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, let me think. What can I say about Troy? Um, I think, I think the thing about Troy that I had trouble with, I guess this is how like all these segments are going to go for me. It's going to be like, here's the thing that I had problems with understanding about this character. Um, because I think the, the, the things that are like clear, I think we've covered, or at least we're covered in the summary and like we can talk about that stuff, but like this is the stuff that I'm hung up on. So, so like he's got this, there's a subplot where, uh, he, uh, he, he's, I mean, he's dating this, this, um, this white, uh, woman who's like the, she's the sister of, the, so she's the daughter of the president. Yeah. Yeah, she's Kurt's she's the sister. Daughter of the president and the sister of the guy from the, uh, fucking humor magazine or whatever. Yeah, pastiche. Okay, it, it doesn't really matter that much in the movie, but it's there. Um, uh, anyway, um, he's got this thing where, like, he, he goes in the bathroom, and, like, I guess he pretends to take a shower, or maybe does take a shower, and then he gets out, and then, like, he smokes some weed and, like, writes jokes or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that... That's what he said. Am, am I correct? That's correct. <laughs> okay, Good. So like and, and and like his 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 father is the is the dean played by Dennis Haysbert the well known Dennis Haysbert mm-hmm. um, and yeah and many other things um, uh, and there's this whole thing about like he is supposed to follow in his father's footsteps he's supposed to play the game make the right connections he's supposed to become a lawyer i think that's what he said right that's the plan um yeah but what he really wants to do is like comedy writing i, I guess yeah. is that correct mm-hmm. like the the thing about that was this is where i felt like more time would have helped because it was there it was in the movie it was presented it was stated it was shown <laughs> and yet i never quite felt it. I mean, I don't know. It didn't, didn't buy it. It didn't feel like they nail. They 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 drove home the point of like this guy really wants to be a comedy writer. I never quite felt that, even though even though it's presented to me, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think I think part of that is the lack of time because there's yeah. so many characters and so many things to show. And I think part of that was Troy himself of not fully embracing. And being able to show what his true passion was. I mean, when, like, what I, what I liked about 
and part of it was the structure. Like, so the first time we see Troy smoking in the bathroom and writing jokes, we we don't really know that we're really seeing his internal life because it's still part of the setup of the story. So right. it just seems like okay, we're just learning an extra thing about Troy, and it's not really until he's with Coco and she asks him, "Does he smoke?" and he says, "No," and then it's sort of in the next. You know, part of that scene, he is, he ends up smoking with her when he lets his guard down, and you see, okay, well, this is kind of the real Troy, right? So I think, so that's the other part of it too. I think is it's that that sort of Troy's inner life. That's when he's the most Troy. Is he just wants to get high and write jokes and 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 be funny? Yeah. And and you know, as I was talking with some other friends about this movie, like Troy's, you know, from how the movie kind of presented itself to me, like Troy's. Ideal goal to be an SNL writer. That's what he wants to do. He wants to follow in the footsteps and have fun and be, you know, if he didn't have his dad in his life being uh, an oppressive authoritative figure, he would be this, you know, maybe class clown guy who doesn't necessarily care about having the perfect image and the perfect look and uh, doing the right things and meeting the right people uh, and being, you know, PC when he needs to be PC and all that stuff. Um, He would be, you know, he would be a comedy writer. Um, so I think, I think part of it, yeah, part of it was there wasn't enough time to really delve into that. Um, but I think part of it is that Troy is so much about his image and so much about what he wants people to perceive him as that he doesn't want everyone to have that part of his life, uh, to, to share that with everybody. Like, yeah, he, he, he makes it clear to the pastiche guys he wants to be on pastiche, but it's a secret really to everybody else, you know? Right. Right, and he and he says uh, that he only wants to do it uh, for like something on his resume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like the the idea is that most of the time he's presenting some kind of image to exactly. the public, and so like we're just not seeing. But that was just, I, I guess I I I had a hard time processing that on top of everything else. And so I, I I think that that totally makes sense. But I think that's where I was. That's where I was stuck with this character, mm-hmm. but I think I think that makes sense. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much what was going on. Yeah, yeah. I thought he had an interesting kind of dynamic of, um, you know, because he does have somebody there keeping him in a certain position. You know, he's got his father there all the time. Uh, he's at his father's school. He's at he's yeah. at the school with his father's lifelong rival. You know, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. You know, where they're, the dads are playing this chess game with their sons. Um, yeah. You know, using their sons as pawns in this game of who's who's going to get control. And then you have Sophia be a part of that game because it's, you know, the idea is that Troy stopped dating Sam White to date the dean's daughter, or the president's daughter. You know, partially to get back at the, at the president, partially to get in closer to Kurt so he can get on prestige, you know. So yeah. there's a sense of opportunism there as well, you know. Um, so yeah, it's a, yeah, he's, Troy has a lot, a lot of complex things going on, and and you know, by the end of the movie, what you know, he's he is perhaps the least changed of the main characters um, because he has the opportunity to be uh, um, the president of the school or or class or whatever. Um, he decides he still wants to be the guy who's known. Uh, as this sort of perfect Troy guy, uh, you know, at, to the detriment of his relationship with Coco, who, 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 when he's with her, he's the most sort of authentic Troy. Um, but that's not the Troy he wants people to see. 
and when he has the you know he's so you know that's what I was saying earlier about these characters haven't figured out everything and, and the, the story takes place in a small amount of time so they haven't changed as much as they ultimately could or will you know so he's still beholden to this idea of his outward image and the the prestige that being uh, the class president would, would bring him so he'd rather have that than than have a open relationship with Coco or, or, or be more authentic Troy, you know, um, yeah. which I think is an interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. It seems like he sells out more than she does, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange because mm-hmm. she's supposed to be the sellout character. I think, I, mean, I think he's got more pressure, you know, his, yeah. he's got yeah. more ingrained pressure from his dad about being this kind of person. And that doesn't change. You know, he stands up to his dad at the end, but that's one conversation over hundreds they've had. You know, that's not, you know, you don't change, what is it? You don't change the course of a ship in one conversation. That's what they say, right? Yeah, that's um, a, a well known phrase. Yeah, that's a <laughs> phrase. Uh, I think that was uh, Shakespeare. I'm sure. <laughs> just. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, to me, the movie's realistic in the sense that he has not he'd still be all into what his father wants. It's still mentally ingrained from him. You know, it's indoctrination in a way. I mean, he's been trained to think a certain way by his dad. And he, he, um, you know, rails against it to a certain degree in certain times, certain ways, but he's not, you know, he's not completely uh, out of his father's shadow. Only privately. Yeah, privately. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, where he's not subject to scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that if he if he had more of a transformation in that short of a period of time, I wouldn't buy it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think that it is. It, it's really nice to see the scenes with with him and Coco, where you know he he gets to reveal a little bit about himself um, to her and to the viewer. But you know, if in the end, you know, they're I don't know, they're like holding hands or whatever. You know, we because they already have, they have the line about how. Uh, the dean, his father, had um, had kind of squashed his relationship with Sam because he didn't think it looked right. Yeah. And so, you know, what is his dad going to say about him dating Coco at that point? And, you know, obviously the pressure from his father is immense. And uh, and one thing that's really striking is, is you see... Um, you see what Troy's life is like with the pressure from his father and, and all the things that Troy has to do to be successful versus what Kurt does as the son of, uh, of the president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, and there's the line in where the, where the Dean says to his son, you know, that, that when the president, that he and, and the president were, were students at the school at the same time and yeah. that, president had was barely skating by yeah and um, president now and who's exactly yeah and uh and you see that playing out and so there's this way in which you know troy it's easy to say that troy sold out and that you know he should he should own his relationship with coco you know he should follow his own path but in reality you know he's he still can't in he's still got he's still got things he wants to do and he's still got ambitions and yeah exactly one, one relationship in a couple weeks isn't going to change that. And I think that's, that is very realistic um, to depict it that way. Yeah, and he has to work twice as hard if he wants those things. Yeah, that's the thing. Kurt has to do nothing. And Kurt's going to get whatever he wants. And you see that you, you see that just how the characters, Troy and Kurt, carry themselves. You know, uh, uh, Kurt can leave uh, an uh, obscene uh, voicemail message to writing his roommate Lionel 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You know, the dean even hears it and isn't going to do anything about it. But but yeah. move Lionel around, not reprimanding Kurt. You know, Kurt. So the, and, and again, it goes back to the idea of white privilege, where you know uh, this this is something that's talked about with sort of the. Um, you know, the stereotypical white parents, uh, you know, letting their kids kind of run around and do whatever in a restaurant or something. And the stereotypical black parents kind of being more aggressive and, and, and you know, um, keeping their kids more in line. And it's really teaching the kids how to behave themselves in culture and in public. And I've seen that so many times where I'll go to some place and I'll see young white kids jumping on furniture, hanging on this thing, you know, being kids. Like nothing is wrong right. with being a kid. You know, we're, we're monkeys. We want to clap on stuff, yeah. uh, especially as a kid when you have that energy. But but there's a complete different level of parent. You know, I'm speaking generally here, of course, completely different level of parenting when it's like, listen, I need to teach you from a young age how people are going to perceive you. And you cannot run around this restaurant and make a scene if you're a black kid. If you're a white kid, you can get away with it. And I think it's like that's what you see with Kurt and Troy. You see from just how they carry themselves. Kurt can do whatever. He, can, he takes his penis out and flashes it in the student's face. You know, I mean, it, you, Troy could never do that. You know, uh, Troy carries himself in a, in a stiffer, more guarded way. Kurt is way more outwardly. He, he, he just puts himself on everybody. You know what I mean? Like almost like infects the room with his with his selfness, you know? Right, and, and, and a very, sloppiness. Yeah, and his sloppiness because he can do that. He walks into the black dining hall and he eats there because he knows he can get away with it. And I, and I, that's, a good, that's a good point. Okay, because that was a question I had. Like, they, because uh, they actually asked him about that, you know, like, why, why is he there, mm-hmm. you know? And he comes back with just a really shitty racist joke, but, like, it was a question I was wondering. Like, why is he eating there? Because is, he, that, is that what you think just because he, like... Because he can, because it's... Knows he it's, can get away with why it. Have a, why have a blackface party? Why, you know, when... I think when 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 you it's the same and again it's the same thing that the 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 young white kid who's going to disrupt a, a, a public situation because his parents see no need to instill in his kids and that kid a certain way to behave in public because hey when you're an adult and you behave that way a cop might pull you over and kill you so I need to train you as a kid to not be outwardly yourself you know what i mean when you when you can, when you are a kurt and you can get away with things and provoke people with no recourse then that's what you do you know people do what they can get away with and kurt knows he can get away with eating wherever he wants to no matter what and and it's and it's different than saying well your cafeteria has better food i'm gonna eat there and quietly just eat my meal and be whatever it's like no he's gonna make a scene and he's going to project his self over others you know and, and of course the big that's a big moment in the movie where sam like stands up to him but it is that kind of power slash whiteness slash maleness dominating thing that you see have play out in different venues that that kurt can be the alpha male or whatever he can be this this dominating force with impunity whereas other people cannot based on the systems that they're a part of yeah yeah no that makes sense but that, that gets to another question i had about his character kurt i mean because like and it's fine that he's like not that 
complex of a character. I mean, it, the movie's not about him. Um, but uh, I had I had trouble because like he's sort of basically two dimensional, and so he's playing a type. I mean, he's a he's a bully. He's uh, uh, he he's pretty much just an antagonist. Yeah, you know, for everyone. Um, but I I feel like the movie. The, the character I see, just based on the types that I know mm-hmm. from other stories like this, he's playing a jock type. Mm-hmm. And not that he looks like a jock particularly, but that's kind of the type of the jock bully character who's like, yeah. you know, really popular and can do whatever they want. And, you know, they own the school and like everyone yeah. else is, you know, like that's basically the type of character he's playing. But on the other hand, he's he writes for the the comedy magazine like i it's just hard for, it was hard for my brain to like wrap my head around like the bully humor magazine guy yeah like, but at a, but at an ivy league school that's the kind of person who sort of is the the yeah. role of the of the job it's all the, it, it's all about where the power comes from in the system you're talking about right if you're if you're in a small texas football town and you're the captain of the football team you've got a lot of power you can do whatever you want the coaches are going to take you back. The teachers are going to take you back. The principals are going to take you back. The students are going to love you. You know what I mean? But yeah, if you're at an Ivy League school where one of your claims to fame is half of the SNL cast comes from your writing staff, uh, like the Harvard Lampoon, which is basically what pastiche is, um, then then that is a, a source of power for for those people, so they can use that to their advantage. I mean, it's sort of the big man on campus type more than the jock. Yeah, type. but he just he didn't seem funny. I mean, he didn't seem like a comedy writer. Yeah. He seemed like you know uh, an empty headed jock, mm-hmm. and so it was just it was just weird to me because his jokes were all horrible, and it was just it like was almost like he was only president because of who he was. Yeah, he didn't have to be funny to become president. And maybe that's maybe that was the point. I think that's part of the point, and it's and it's and it's he. He chose to see himself in that position. He might have, he could have chosen something else if he wanted to. Yeah. You know, but uh, but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that he. There, I'm sure there's funnier people than him. That's not. How I he got hope the job. so. I mean, it, because like SNL. I mean, as bad as I think it is, it's funnier than he was. Yeah. You know, like like it's you know if we're really supposed to believe like this is a source of like serious comedy writers, you know, and just having them be yeah, I. I I think I would have liked maybe a little bit of like, yeah, he's not, he doesn't really do any of the like good pieces. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, almost just like a stand-in for a fraternity, though. You know, it was a system, yeah, it was a closed-off system of people who only liked their kinds of people, and he was the president of that. Yeah, but I guess I found that strange because I've never seen like a comedy publication be portrayed that way. I mean, the Lampoon really, the culture around the Lampoon is like that. You know, it's basically like a frat. You know, they've got. The I mean, I don't really parties. know. They've got their, you know. Sure. No, I'll buy that that exists. It's just not something I've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's not like a a well known trope in mm-hmm. in you know like you know the the comedy right. magazine right. and the weird culture there. You know. It's not something that's been covered very thoroughly. Yeah. No, I agree. I would say. And actually, this reminds me of two things that are pretty unrelated to what you're talking about. Um, And one is the fact that just all in all, I feel like this movie really expected a level of intellect from the viewers that was really, really surprising to me. Yeah. Like, I mean, most movies are just not like that. 
And uh, and the other thing is, it wasn't really funny. I thought from the website, because on, on the website there are these, um, like PSA style shorts that end with the, da, the da, more da, you da, know. uh, kind of thing. And they're really funny. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I thought with the, with the title of the movie and I sort of, I knew what the, what the title referred to this idea of this radio program that's like faux advice for, uh, for white people to, to be less racist or, or, you know, whatever the, the satirical conceit of that is. I was expecting it to be funny. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of funny moments, but it's actually yeah. really just dead serious. Well, I, I think that's the thing about comedy is it's different people are going to laugh at different things. And I think part of the, the hurdle here is a lot of, a lot of the concepts are, aren't funny on the racism isn't funny things that racists do can be funny um responses to racism can be funny but but sort of the topics aren't aren't funny you know what i mean uh so i i I can see that that it's not it's not packed with jokes like you i mean there's you know i saw it with two audiences there's quite a bit of laughter but it but it really depends on what you're willing to laugh at and why you're laughing at these things. I think mm-hmm. some things you'll laugh at because it's shocking, but other people might not laugh because they're shocked, so they're not gonna laugh. Right? Yeah. Uh, they're taken aback, or they're thinking about it intellectually and not thinking about it a- as a joke. You know, like even something as simple as Kurt Kurt saying, "Well, I come to this cafeteria because it's the only place on campus I can get both chicken and waffles." Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's a hugely racist thing to say. And it's something one person might not laugh at because they're like, oh, God, he just said a hugely racist thing. But it's also something you can't laugh at um, because of how he delivers the line and what he, and, and, and it's a shocking thing to say. You know, so I think it's, it, it really depends on the person, like, how much comedy um, that, you might, that you might find in it. Because, like I said, I think the topics are very unfunny on, on the surface. And it's, it's really up it's so individualistic because it's not it's not like a broad comedy where somebody runs slips on the banana peel and 95 percent people are going to laugh at that because that's what i was that's what i was you were looking for banana peel that's the sequel yeah why did he cut the banana peel scene yeah i know right well that's in the sequel dear dear banana peel um They can maybe they can have some some reduxed version of who's on first. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I think the white person's on first. We already know that. <laughs> oh, 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 incisive! It hurts. Uh, um, yeah, we saw it. So go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say that we saw it in a very empty theater with. Yeah, but it's worth saying that it was Sunday night. Yeah, the crowd matters too. Like, what, you know, any kind of group thing like that, the crowd is willing to laugh to the degree other people, you know, you can feel the mood and, and what kind of, you know, people people give other people permission to behave certain ways in those situations. Mm-hmm. So, so if you have somebody laughing at the beginning about certain things that lightens the mood and then, yep. Oh, this is the people are going to be laughing. So let's, let's, let's laugh along versus if people are more serious then you know, but I, but I totally take your point like that, that it's not, um, just on its surface, a lot of just flatly comedic jokes and, and ideas. Right. I mean, I wasn't exactly expecting like, Black people be like, and white people be like, you know, it wasn't that kind of humor that I was expecting. But uh, but I, I was expecting it to be a little, but, but I mean, it is true. It's like, yeah. 
I don't know. I feel like one person maybe laughed at the really this one of the lines that made me the most uncomfortable in the movie early oh, on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Troy uh, and his white girlfriend when he, and he comes out from smoking weed in the shower and his girlfriend's like, "Fuck me with your big black cock." Mm-hmm. And for like a split second, Troy gets this look on his face, like because at that point you sort of think that Troy is one of these people who's not interested in talking about race. He's not interested in asking the questions that Sam is asking. You know, he just wants to be a high achiever. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just wants to be the best. He doesn't care about all the racial politics. Yeah. But there's like this flash across his face of like, mm-hmm. oh God. Yeah, like, and I certainly didn't laugh at that line, but mm-hmm. I think like one most people laugh at that line. I'm, I'm, yeah, there was a laugh. There yeah, was a laugh. People laugh place. at that line. You know, laughter is about surprising, and it's a surprising thing to say, but it, and it's shocking, um, and it's a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, but but yeah, but that's again that a lot of the jokes come from a very real place where if you read that, you you might not laugh. Um, because you're thinking about it intellectually and you're saying, wow, Troy is now confronted with his own race and mm-hmm. the situation that he didn't expect to in a way. You know, he's being objectified by his race now yeah. uh, in a situation he didn't expect to for the very same reason you're talking about, that he actively avoids that, you know. But here's a situation where it's unavoidable and it's, it's, uh, it's also mixed with exploitation of, you know, this is what she's getting out of it. You know, she's getting to, you know, and it's that trope of, um, uh, I think, I don't, I don't think it's a joke in this movie, but there's a joke out there, you know, um, you know, for white women, if you want to upset your parents, date a black guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, it's that joke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, in general, like, the tone of the movie is less, uh, comedic than I was expecting based on those those PSAs like mm-hmm. it, it it is like a heightened reality like the, it's not played like gritty drama you know yeah but but it's also not like well like you said I mean obviously it's not like the naked gun or something I mean it's it's somewhere between those two and it's like it's more I don't know. It's more like dry satire than yeah, I was yeah, expecting. Yeah. yeah. You know, like not really just a lot of laugh out loud, like, you know, one liners. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's not really where the humor is. And there's, there's a lot more, like you said, like thought provoking moments that, you know, could be viewed as like comedic, but also could make you think about things. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to like think and laugh at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I have a hard time personally. I don't you know. You laugh or you think to try to do it at the same time is tough. It's too much. Yeah. It's just too much. Because laughter mean, is a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's a full, I mean, laughter encompasses your brain. I think that's why it's like nice to do, but you, yeah, it's hard to like have an intellectual sort of thought while mm-hmm. you're laughing at stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I, I laughed less than I was expecting, but I actually was pleasantly surprised by the, by the tone of the movie and also like the seriousness of it. Like I thought it was going to be lighter than it was, Yeah, yeah. you know, and it was actually like quite serious mm-hmm. um, about the topics it's addressing, even though it does address them with a light touch, it's still not in any way like pretending like they're not serious. Yeah. Yeah. And that's again, a credit to the director and the writing, like to walk that line of it's not 
too serious. It's not too light. Yeah. So it's, that's a tough, tough line to walk uh, for, for a topic as loaded as identity and racism. Yeah. Identity and race, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, and, I, and again, I, I love where all these four characters, you know, the quadrant of these characters, the, the space they take up within the, the themes of the movie, and they're all very, very different and have completely different approaches. You know, but it, you, can, you can kind of group them together uh, based on different things. You know, Coco and Sam are similar in, in how strongly they hold on to their beliefs. They have different mm-hmm. beliefs, but they but they one hundred percent believe in them until they don't. Uh, and then you have you have Lionel and Troy, who who are almost the, the characters who are hiding or running away from or, or non confrontational in their beliefs and have to make their beliefs come to the forefront of of their actions because of what's going on around them. You know, I think Lionel and Troy would have been very happy to continue on how they started. If it wasn't for Sam and Coco, yeah, uh, and and what you know the kind of problems that they create for the story, uh, so it's interesting to see how where the you know they occupy different spaces, but there's you know Venn Venn diagrams of these characters where they overlap in certain ways and and certain kind of approaches, and and I really love. Troy and, and and they didn't have a lot of time together, but Troy and Lionel, you know, they become roommates, and, mm-hmm. and he sees, uh, you know, Troy is watching Star Trek, and uh, and you know, again, Troy being in his private time doing something he would not tell other people he does, you know, being a sci-fi nerd, and yeah. and and that little moment of Lionel, like, oh, you you're like me, you know, and, and later Troy tells Lionel, like, hey, if we went to high school together, I would have had your back, you know what I mean? And it's like that kind of, that that idea encapsulated in that one sentence, that whole thing of, like, especially about high school, and then, of course, with college, but, like, and then the rest of our lives, where we're, we're so sort of isolated from people, and we've, we view people with all these, you know, preconceived notions and stuff that we don't know how we connect, and we almost try not to connect because connecting is hard and there's rejection involved and there's, you know, image, you know, and it's just like in high school, you know, you decide who you want your friends to be based on how you want people to see you. You know, if somebody is, is the outcast in school, you're less likely to go befriend them just by the nature of the, the sort of doggy dog world of high school and the social structure there. And so that whole idea of like, if we take those artifices away, Troy and Elena would have been great friends, you know, but because the, all that stuff is built on top of them, that kind of separates them until they can, like, have that moment and connect and say, oh, guess what? Here's something we, we, we have in common. Here's a place we can start to understand each other. I mean, and that idea is, is literally the cure for fucking everything that's wrong with our world is where's the one place we can start to understand each other and then build from there, you know? So it was really cool to kind of see that just play out in very something simple of like here's a mutual interest that they have that they wouldn't have both thought that they had you know i think that that, that's a really good point and that lionel's character is a good illustration of how this movie is about identity in uh in really non-simplistic ways because Mm -hmm. he it's he's sort of the reject but not he but it's sort of like a self-imposed exile yeah. as well as uh, a, a rejection. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that Kurt uh, um, 
leaves a this sexually intimidating or threatening sort of so he's a he's a gay character um and that you know Kurt and uh, some other character also uh in the very beginning of the movie um uh, sort of make these um vaguely threatening but also just really repugnant um, attacks on him based on his sexuality, but he doesn't feel that he can go to the the black house on campus because he, as a, you know, as, as a gay black uh, mm-hmm. college student, he feels that he would not be welcomed yeah. in the black house. He doesn't participate in the black student union, you yeah. know, and he, so he sort of doesn't want to expose himself to that, even though avoiding that, uh, potential risk that he sees keeps landing him in these other intimidating situations where he's pushed Mm -hmm. to the outskirts and he's harassed in these different ways. And then when he finally does end up in the, in the, you know, historically black house, uh, he's like immediately surrounded by sort of the more, the more activist clique within the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're saying like, you know, they, they immediately confront him about the fact that he's been avoiding them. Yeah. Uh, and calls, calls him out for, for assuming that they would be homophobic just because they're black. Yeah. And, you know, and that's a really interesting moment, um, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, of that interaction. But then also, and he, he doesn't really respond. Um, but also, you know, in the scene that you're talking about with Troy, where, you know, Troy's watching sci-fi, and, you know, that's another sort of stereotype about blackness, you know, not... Yeah, the, the most... I don't know, I feel like that's a stereotype, that black people don't like sci-fi. I don't know. Is that not a stereotype? Is that a stereotype? I, I, I don't know if it would... I would say black people don't like sci-fi, but I think it's a, it's an anti-stereotype that they do. You know, or or, or, or maybe I would say yeah, it's a stereotype that sci-fi is, is something white people like. Maybe right. it's more yeah. to say. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, there's certainly the stereotype that cool people <laughs> like, or or, uh, like Troy are something. That's part, it's not just a race thing, it's about the cool. Yeah. Exactly. It, for, exactly. For sure. It's a, it's a nerdy thing to do, and, and, yeah. and, it's like, it's like seeing the, 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 the school football jock watching, uh, something, doing right. something, right. and going, oh, what? You know, and he's like, oh, don't tell anybody I'm not cool, you know. Even right. though he is like kind of a nerd in the sense that he's excelling academically. Yeah. Um <laughs> But he's like super hot. He's also and, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. he's like definitely. You reminded me of people we went to high school with, you know. Uh yeah. we had cool nerds at our school where yeah. you're you know, and not every school has that kind of thing where you can be uh you can excel academically and, and not lose coolness, you know. Like yeah. you can you can hey, I, I, what are you doing Friday night studying? Uh, and no one's going to call you a loser, but that's, uh, you know, and, and just yeah. talked about this in, in interviews where a lot of what, you know, a lot of what the movie's talking about, a lot of the uh, issues of race and identity are, are so spread out because it's really about closed groups of people, whether it's a college campus, it's high school, it's, it's a humor magazine, it's a frat, it's your family, it's, it's about, how information travels in a closed group of people and and that you know that information warps their view of themselves and and people outside of that group you know so that's kind of what you get so if you're in a school like we went to that was about being talented and gifted then you didn't have 
you couldn't you can't have both be cool and be smart you know but if you because in that closed group that was fine but if you were in a different situation where being cool meant not studying and it meant uh i don't know what <laughs> other cool people do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can, any, can anyone tell anybody, us? Anybody, yeah. anybody no, we, we don't know. That's why we didn't go to those schools. This is, this is by the way, the, the point where all your fans are like, these guys were labeled talented and <laughs> Yeah. But to go to show anyone can be labeled that. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I think that's really that's really the, the nugget to, to look, to the lens, I should say, to look at the, these situations. It's about how closed groups of people react to people in their group and outside of their group. And that's where you get the blackface party, you know, because this closed group of people who don't, who, who won't, who won't get pressure from someone who's not like them get to in within their own group, behave a certain way that they wouldn't behave if they had more black friends. If, you know, it's the same situation of like, you know, I think it was a humorous thing, uh, dear white people had on Facebook about Halloween. It was like, uh, friends don't let friends dress up in blackface. You know, but the idea there is like, listen, you, you, you sometimes do need someone who is not like you to tell you things you, you, you might not understand. You know, just like men need women to tell them things that they might do that's offensive to women and vice versa and whatever other kind of group you want to talk about. Like, we can't all, you know, our perspectives are, are limited and, and confounded by being in closed groups. Um, and it's the same, you know, the same way with like, like the example with, um, with Lionel, uh, thinking a certain thing about the black, the, the, the kids at the black, you know, and the, the sort of black group of kids on campus and how he imagines that they think based on what, you know, the analogous kids at his school thought, you know, or might have thought, you know, so it's, so it's, it's, it's both of like how you look at a closed group and assume things about them and how that closed group looks at each other and, and people on the outside, you know, and, and, you know, we see that, you know, if you can expand that out to politics, I mean, that's why politicians get away with what they can get away with because they, they live in a closed group where they all pat each other on the back about taking bribes and, and being sold out to lobbyists and, you know, all these things that is not beneficial if you're not part of that closed group. I mean, I think that's right. And it speaks to how if, if you have more diverse communities, um, you know, both in the literal sense of like a neighborhood and also just a workspace, you know, the, the people you interact with, you know, if you're in more diverse contexts, these sorts of things start to work themselves out. Yeah. You know, and, and I think you see, you know, to your point, um, about the friends don't let friends, uh, dress in blackface. I mean, you see this with like, every so often this will happen, uh, you know, there was the, the Katy Perry doing yellow face thing where she dressed up in, I don't even know, like a kabuki costume or something like that. I don't remember. And, uh, and seemingly didn't really understand what was wrong with this. And it's hard for me to understand why, and okay, I don't like follow that stuff very closely, so I don't know. Maybe she issued some very thoughtful apology. Uh, I don't know, but the but the fact that it that it happened, like I do, sort of find find it difficult to believe that she or her agent or her stylist or whoever like aided in making that event happen mm-hmm. would have thought that it was okay if it was blackface. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's not necessarily a big difference here, right? And like what what makes the what makes it a difference is is that we've we've reached a point where 
I would say that the majority of Americans recognize slash believe that it's wrong to do blackface. Yeah. But that a small minority of people uh, who are clearly on Twitter seem to think that it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a difference. Um, I'm not sure if the difference matters. I mean, I I think the difference is, you know, what, 300 years of slavery and 100 years of Jim Crow, and then put blackface on top of that, and that's a completely different situation than, you know, just based on our history, right? Well, I agree, but but I I mean, there's also, like, a lot of neocolonialism with Southeast Asia. Sure, for sure, for sure. Like, that's the thing, I I think there's a difference, but I don't think the difference matters. Right. You know? No, no, there's a difference. It's the same. And again, I go go back to the question of just being, like, if I'm my most optimistic, humanistic um, version of myself, and I say, why can't and, I, and there's the answers to these questions. But why can't – because I'm looking at pictures right now. Katy Perry's basic in like an uh, Asian slash oriental outfit and she's doing the whole – a whole thing about it. Um, and, and her face is basically painted like white it looks like. Um, and she's got accented eyes and stuff like that. But she's doing the kabuki thing. Um, why is that bad? Why – why do we want to live in a world where a performer of one race can't adopt the culture, especially historical culture, of another race? And I think the answer to that is no. And then I think the question is, you know, no, but it should be in a certain context where it's acceptable and a certain context where it's not acceptable. You know, and I don't have the answers to which context is right or wrong. But that, that's the question that I find, that the movie brought up that I find really interesting is, you know, race is, is a construct that we created. And I think culture is human culture. And we should all be able to celebrate and delve into various cultures that our people, globally, our people have created. You know, uh, it's not as simple as that because of his, history and historical issues with race and and nationalism and stuff like that but but i feel like that's that's to me that's an interesting question and i don't think i don't know if we'll ever get to the point where these things are kind of okay and and there's you know in terms of like blackface like there's kind of two like two types of blackface there's the historical blackface where white performers were doing it for a certain reason and and someone might be doing blackface because they want to portray a black character but they don't want to hire a black actor you know so that's one thing you can just clearly say okay that's that's a situation we don't have to deal with anymore because we can you know we don't have sort of the same kind of level of racism in the entertainment industry so we can have a black actor play that black part you know and there was actually a recent story about uh, I forgot what show it was. I don't think it was Scandal. Uh, but there was some TV show. Oh, maybe, yeah, it was Gotham, I believe. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is on Gotham. And instead of hiring, they needed a stunt double for her. And instead of hiring a black woman to be the stunt double, they, what they call painted down, a white act, a white stunt uh, act performer to play the part. And then, of course, there's controversy and they decided not to do that because they realized that was wrong. And the, the, the main reason that's wrong is, there's competent black women who can do that. You know what I mean? And it's like they were doing it not to be offensive, but doing it because in this closed group of uh, stunt workers, they hired who they knew. 
and they knew a white actress who could play the part, and they thought, well, it's just fine. It will just we'll just make her look blacker. You know what I mean? But that you know, so it's like it's not coming from a level of racism. It's coming because it's a it's a closed group of people who who only want to kind of work with the people that they already know instead of saying, hey, here's a part that a black stunt actress can have. Let's go find one if we don't. Right. You know what I mean? So there's that level, and then there's the other stuff where it's the blackface parties, and it's just completely usurping culture for your own entertainment, which I don't think there's any real kind of place for that. But but again, back to the Katy Perry thing, I think it's it's really, to me, that's a really interesting question: is where where is that level of saying? If can you be respectful of a culture and its history and use it for a performance? Well, I think you absolutely can, but in order to do so, you need to go deeper into actually the meaning of the culture and not just use it as a sexy costume mm-hmm. and say, you know, I I, I want to look exotic. I want to I want to be on Jezebel tomorrow or whatever. I want people to look at me. I need a new look. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just doing it to take a new look and or to to play off exotic, uh, exoticizing, sexualized stereotypes about otherness, then that's not okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you do I believe that you have a right to do it? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you should. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the coming back to the film, you know, even if even if no one was actually doing blackface in terms of actually painting their complexions darker to attend this party, they would still be embodying these uh, harmful stereotypes mm-hmm. by, you know, showing up with the, with the grills, with... Um, yeah, the chains and the gats. Yeah, and, yeah. Right. And, I mean, the implicate And on the one hand, some some skeptics might say, well, you know, people... Uh, people choose to wear the grills to style themselves in this way. Why can't other people do that? Like, that's not actually part of blackness. It's part of this small subculture of people, mm-hmm. often people of color, who want to style themselves in this way by buying these things, by dressing in a certain way, that it's not, it's not all that different from going to, like, a goth party or a punk party or something. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I would argue that... Um, the the equating of that style, um, and you see this with when people talk about ratchet, you know, of like yeah. equating like a particular style with a particular race yeah. uh, or ethnic group. I mean, that's where you you see it as a locus of assumptions. Yeah. Uh, and and it's not it's not necessarily the act itself of you know wearing gold chains or, um, well. The watermelon thing is another thing because that's a that's a reference to, you know, the um, the original blackface vaudeville, which which served to basically tell white people that uh, former slaves, you know, romanticized and longed for the days on the plantation. You know, this is this is where this watermelon thing comes from, at, at least as far as I understand. Um, I lost my my thread, but anyway, the, the the point is that that it's that in instances like this, and this is what is so cool about sort of the final reveal of the film, um, about about how this party ends up happening, is that like the occasion of this party draws people 
to come enact their assumptions mm-hmm. about what blackness is. Yeah. It is not a ghetto party, although that in and of itself would have racial you know, components to it. Mm-hmm. It's not a ghetto party. It's not a ratchet party. It's not a hip hop party. It's not whatever. It's, uh, you know, come black. Yeah. And this is how they come. Yeah. I mean, never mind that they come at all. You know, I mean, that's, that's sort of the big dilemma is, you know, what, what is the appropriate way to. And the, yeah. And that's, respond. that's what Sam brings up in her point when she's accused of uh, sending out the, the invitation is like you. And in my interpretation, she, she did. She did send out the invitations. Am I wrong? I, I think it's a little ambiguous. I think that's the the, the Occam's Razor answer. Um, but I, I like that it's a bit of a mystery. But I think I mean I, I don't think it's. I, I would say yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm at least not crazy to think that she did it because it seemed like the movie was saying suggesting that. In fact, she did because we have that scene with the president telling mm-hmm. uh, telling Kurt, uh, you know, you gotta shut this party. So up. I think it's I think it's fairly clear Kurt didn't do it. Yeah, he shows up to the party surprised it's happening, and she overhears that conversation. Well, and that conversation, and I'm just assuming now that the people listening to this podcast will have already seen the movie. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we're we're spoiling the but, movie. Um, I mean, too bad. But, Sorry, guys. Yeah, but that scene happens right after the scene, when she's speaking with the president, and the president says, "You know what I think is that you wish that there were bodies hanging from the trees so that you would have something to protest." Mm-hmm. And then you know, and then she overhears this thing about the party. He says he's going to cancel the party. She sees this as an opportunity to show that, yeah, maybe bodies aren't hanging from trees, but these problems have gone away. And and if the problem has gone away, then when I send out this this invitation, no one will come to the party. And people will call this out as something horrible. Yeah. But if I'm right... Yeah, exactly. She makes... She she, she puts... Uh, his money where his mouth is, so to speak, yeah. and says, okay, well, let me call your bluff and see what... Yeah. And that's that was her point of, if uh, you should be more concerned that 100 people came to this party. Mm-hmm. Not that everyone on the list didn't say, what the hell is this? I'm ne- I would never go to this and, and, and boycott it. Yeah. Which is, which is in- so, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say she did it, uh, but I like that she never admits it. The movie doesn't let her admit it. Yeah, I agree. It's not 100% like revealed, but I feel like there's strong indications that that's the case and that, yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's fine that he didn't want to give a definitive answer because that, you know. It makes, makes it, it uh, yeah, it makes it an extra mystery you didn't know you were going to get. You know? Yeah, he did that a couple of times with like surprise reveals where I was like, that's weird. I wasn't expecting like to get the, surprised. The, the hacking thing was interesting. Yeah, the hacking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact yeah. that the election was rigged. I didn't oh. see that coming at all. Yeah. You know, and like, and actually it brought up a question for me later. Like, like I wonder how lopsided it was. You know, because I feel like if if the if it was sufficiently like how many people would have voted for Sam and would how many would have voted for Troy, you know, mm-hmm. um, if the election had gone the normal way, because if if it was as lopsided as they suggested it was going to be, then I would expect people would like talk to each other and be like, who did you vote for? Like, how did this happen? Yeah. You know, like, but they just kind of go with it. You know, I don't know. It was it was weird to like reveal that it was rigged. I'm not really sure why they had to do that actually. Well, I think it's because 
Sam wouldn't have won otherwise. And winning, so, so kind of her journey is is will she be uh, this this campus leader? Which the first step was being head of house. And how is she going to you know? And she kind of sets a new standard when she throws Kurt out and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like pushing her toward towards being a leader. And and what's interesting about the movie is you know I guess we can talk about Sam here is. Um, is her conflict with being, you know, she has dear white people. She, she, she is a contrarian. She wants to be a rebel rouser and all that stuff. But at the same time, there's a, has a hesitation there in her quieter moments about what she's really doing and why. And one of the things I think it, it's a really weird quality to the structure where you kind of build up, we, we kind of build up to this rally where I guess I guess the focus is going to be about race on campus, but maybe about this um, randomized housing act and all that stuff. But so Reggie, who's a guy who likes Sam, he's kind of what they would call the hundred percent, which is like the militant, more black uh, version of uh, of a person, and he. He is like Sam's right hand man. He wants her to be the new the campus MLK uh, Martin Luther King, or or I should say Malcolm X. Um, and yeah. you know, but she doesn't necessarily want to be that. And, and her journey is figuring out what she wants to be and how she wants to be it. And so, what's really interesting structurally wise is we build up to this moment where they're going to have this big rally on campus where she's going to usher in the new era, and it just turns a corner and doesn't happen. Spoiler alert. And I thought that was a really, you know, and it was really kind of her point of no return, where if she was going to go down, you know, there's a fork in the road there, and she had to choose where she was going to go. Is she going to be the person Reggie wants her to be? Or, you know, the the Sam White, Dear White People, ver- the, you know, extreme version, or is she going to be a more authentic version of herself uh, that we see in other moments when Reggie isn't around? Um so I just thought that was a really interesting thing where I feel like another lesser film or a different version of the story would have had – we would have still had the rally and, and had that whole sequence. And then at the after the rally, she would have had some revelation about whatever. But I, it was a really kind of anticlimactic in a good way uh, thing where we, we build up to this moment that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think that her identity journey uh, is is one of the the big reasons why I feel like we, you know, the, this film should have been three or four. I mean, because she's just uh, she's got a lot going on. Yeah, and um, you know, and her uh, her relationship with the with the TA um, Gabe, I guess. Yeah, and with Reggie. And, you know, her family background and her, you know, fe- feeling the, the push and pull of, of how much she wants to be the mouthpiece for this movement and how much, you know, there, there's the line where Gabe calls her out for, you know, her, her favorite director. I mean, it's a private moment when she's like, when he says, you know, uh, your favorite director is Bergman, but you always say it's Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. You know, like, who is she and what what is she going through? You know, I mean, that's that's like a really rich character and you just want to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really interesting. And, you know, when he, he says, um, you know, how long does it take to get your hair like that? You know, and, uh, th- that's another thing I liked about the movie is it, it shows, um, a sort of very specific versions of, uh, relationships black people have with their hair. And I think every single yeah. character has a specific relationship with their hair. 
Um, yeah, that, he, that you never see talks about in movies. I didn't really think about that as a theme. But yeah, no, it's huge. Yeah. And even and part of the, the at the end of the movie is you see these characters facing the screen and dealing with their yeah. hair, doing something with it. And of course, Lionel starts the movie with this huge afro, and he claims yeah. he's throwing it out, but it's really, uh, really a symptom of his internal conflict and his unwillingness to seek help and, and identity from other people and, and how he wants to fit in. You know, he doesn't know what his outside should look like, so he decides to do nothing about it. Um, whereas, you know, as we know, Troy Troy cuts hair. That's one of the things he does. And it's like, well, you could have come to me, but it's like he didn't think he could connect to him on that level or that he would say yes to, to something like that. You know, he thought Troy was too cool for that. Um, and then you see Troy, who has the, you know, the very short hair with the waves. He wears the wave cap and everything. And you see, uh, one of the things I, I, I actually like that I know the director and the writer, because I want to ask Justin this, because I, I don't know how purposeful this was, but you see at the end of the film when all the four characters are kind of dealing with their hair and, and kind of, it's sort of a catharsis or whatever. Uh, but, um, you see Troy like take the wave cap off and and then he starts brushing his hair a little bit and to me as a person who I wear my hair like that from time to time one of the things you don't do just as a lesson to white people <laughs> you're, you're gonna learn something here you're is, yeah you don't brush out your waves right so so when you take your wave cap off your hair is like your hair is slicked down it's perfect like you might like brush certain like the edges or something but you wouldn't actually put the brush to the main part of your hair because what it will do is it disrupts the slick down quality of the way you know it'll make it fuzzier you know it makes it uh it displaces the air you know mm-hmm. so i actually I, had no idea that that was what a wave cap did yeah so that's that makes uh, sense but I, yeah. I knew that's what it did but i never thought about you can't you shouldn't brush it. yeah so basically if you brush it, it it takes away that very slick look that you were trying to get and so yeah. this of, like i don't i don't know how Far I'm reaching into this, but I really want to know, like I really want to know if the point. If the, yeah, I really want to know if the point of Troy brushing the waves was to say he doesn't want to look too perfect. You know what I mean? He he wants to have perfection. He wants to look a certain way, but he doesn't want to look too perfect. I had no idea there was a mystery there. Oh man, yeah, that went right over my head. Yeah, no, it's a very, but it's just to me, it as some like I've done that. I am Troy in that, like you don't brush out your waves. So yeah. I'm like, why? Why did he decide to? Do, and I don't know if it's just a visual thing of they wanted him to have some sort of action, do you know, like yeah. just to do something. And it's and he doesn't, you know, he didn't really fully brush it out. It would have been fine, but it was to me, it caught my eye of like, why is he touching it up with the brush? I mean, you you to a degree you can do that. Like it's not like anathema, right? Yeah. But just generally speaking, like it, it would have been more perfect to not. But and so I don't know. Maybe I'll learn something about. Like I didn't know. Maybe Justin will be like, "No, man, you don't brush out your waves. You gotta brush it." <laughs> but anyway, what are you talking about? Yeah, but um, but no, I really, I thought that was a very, you know, I mean, for non-black people, that's a look into a particular part of black culture is the relationship with hair, which the movie really talks about, um, and and how that's wrapped up in your identity and your sense of self. So like with Sam. You know, she wraps her hair up and wears it in a very nice way, you know, but it's hiding 
the the texture of her hair and the length of her hair so she can fit into certain groups she wants to fit in with. Um, and so that you know that's what Gay points out is like you spending all this time hiding this authentic natural version of yourself for a certain reason you know and that's part that's literally what happens in the by the end of the film is she lets her hair down you know um and she wears it just the way it is naturally and she is her more authentic self because of that um so i thought that was another kind of aspect of the movie that um a less astute writer director would have not even touched upon yeah, yeah. Yeah, the hair theme is is a really interesting one. Yeah. And, yeah, I didn't really put my finger on that as being like a, a central thing that all the characters deal with, but yeah, as soon as you pointed that out, it kind of uh Yeah, if I saw the movie again, I would pay more attention to that. Yeah. Um It sort as, of makes me cringe because I remember being a kid and and asking my fr- asking my black friends like if I could touch their hair. Yeah. And like, that's a big thing. In the and like, movie. how often did they wash it? And like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it just, it just goes to show like how fascinated people are by difference. Yeah. And that's, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And that's, what's really, that's why it's such a loaded thing. Um, and, and then there's all these, the, the intra conflicts of people who you, you know, different black people have different types of hair. So if your hair is quote unquote good hair, you know, uh, you might get flack for that or you perceive to be a certain way for that. You know, so there's all these other things, not even, you know, just within that part of, of race, let alone other people being interested. But that's, to me, that's what's really interesting is you should be able to ask those questions. I mean, there should be nothing wrong with, 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 with being interested in the differences as long as it comes from an honest place of learning and, 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 you know, being interested. Uh, right. You know, I've had, you know, a friend of mine who has a white guy who has very, very curly hair has, has had people want to touch his hair. You know, so it's, it's not just a race thing. It's just, it's a difference thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I do think that by the time you're in college, you shouldn't be touching people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you should have gotten over this. Yeah. Touch, touch it when you're young people. Come, yeah, yeah. Right. Though I will say that Lionel's hair is quite spectacular for a big portion of the movie. So it, it, it is really it's, I mean, not that I would, like, actually ask if I could touch it, but, I mean, there, it is, like, it, it commands a room. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, it's on the posters. Like, it's it's quite striking. Yeah. So, and I, I was going to say about Lionel, like, at least for me, watching the movie initially, I found his character to be, you know, as the, you know, He's the outcast of everyone. He has no yeah. group to be a part of. He was the easiest character to sympathize with. Yeah, I think. For sure. You know, all the other characters had elements where it's like, I don't quite know what to think of them. Like, I'm not really sure, you know, uh, where this is, you know, what what this character's deal is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I think everyone can identify with being a Lionel. Everyone can identify with not, well, not everyone. Most people can identify <laughs> with not understanding which group they fit into for yeah. various reasons. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I liked his character because I, I felt like that at SMU, an all-white school, figuring, mm-hmm. okay, well, do I go to the Black Student Union and hang out with those people? You know, I've, I mean, I've been in that situation of yeah. like, who do I, you know, so it's like, do I pledge the black fraternity? Do I pledge the white fraternity? 
do I pledge any for you know? I ended up pledging the engineering fraternity. I know. This is what I can. This is this is a group I can identify with, where it's not based on race or culture. Right. It's based on uh, we like engineering. Love for engineering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a very very not hot button topic. So <laughs> it was easy to you know. I didn't have to confront anything about myself. In right. order to deal with that group, so yeah, yeah it's a very, very interesting uh, situation with Lionel, and I love that little sequence where he he's kind of sitting by himself, not having a group, and then he has a little vision of himself dealing with the black kids and looking more black, and then dealing with the gay kids and looking more gay, and like trying, yeah, that whole idea of which group should he go towards. Yeah, that got laughter. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and, like, he's got this little story where uh, this guy comes from, like, so he writes, oh, man, there's so much shit going on in this movie. Um, he, <laughs> I, I swear, it's like, I, my brain, I'm like, can I even keep this straight, having seen it once? Okay, he writes for, like, some small, independent, more independent than, like, this other thing is still a college newspaper, I think, but this is, like, more small than that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's the, I think I think it's the camp, like the campus newspaper. Okay, he writes for the campus newspaper, or is it the other guy? He writes for a, an independent newspaper that's published on campus, and then this other guy comes to recruit him for the campus newspaper, or is the other guy for some other? Do, do you know the what guy who, so the so the gay guy who recruits Lionel? Yeah. I think is just the editor of the campus newspaper. He's the editor of the campus newspaper. Okay, but Lionel was previously writing for another paper, a smaller one, like the Independent right, something they, like, or other. That, that they would say like nobody reads. I thought it was. Whatever. I thought that was like his high school paper or something. That was his high school paper, but wasn't I, I he still writing for it even at the end? Like, isn't that a thing? No. The, don't they I show don't like? Know. Don't they show his story? At the end, like on the cover of the independent blah blah blah, like he goes back to it. Like oh, I, I, th- I, I thought that was a thing at the end of the movie. I think Am I crazy? I thought that was just the campus newspaper. No, I thought it said it said the independent. Like he didn't he didn't write for the campus newspaper. He ended up going back to the place where he was writing before. Oh, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that there were two campus newspapers. Yeah, I think I think there were two. Pa- okay, maybe I'm crazy. I thought there were two papers. And there I was, also thought that, but I, but I don't know. Maybe we'll have to follow up on that. Yeah, okay, because I thought the reveal at the end, you know, because, I mean, he has this whole experience where this guy comes to recruit him. Um, he, he claims that he read one of his articles in the, in the other thing, mm-hmm. and he recruits him to write about, what is he, what is he supposed to write about exactly? Sam. He's writing about Sam specifically? Yeah. Or is he writing about, okay, okay. So he's gonna write. He's gonna write about Sam, and uh, uh, you know th- they have this, you know, strange like pseudo flirtatious relationship where like it's not really clear if why he's recruiting him. It's not really clear like what's going on in their dynamics, and I mean, eventually, like Lionel's pushed into these situations for doing this reporting that you know leads him down his like character path. Yeah. You know, but I feel like eventually at the end of the movie, he, uh, rejects the guy and doesn't, uh, you know, he, he joins the black student union and he goes to shut down the party. And I think he goes back to write for the other paper and that's what he writes his article for. Okay. That, that, that was that, my impression. That, that, that makes sense. That makes sense that there's, okay, yeah, that there's two. Yeah, I'll come. 
I think so. So uh, this is something where I probably need to watch it again to to fully understand. But yeah, I mean, his character was very relatable. And I would say, and this is where I just, I have to bring it up because I see, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was writing for the alternative campus newspaper and he had a chance at the, the main, more prestigious one. Okay. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so see, it's like there's there's a lot going on here. Um, so it's like there's two papers, and it's like, <laughs> wow, it's enough. <laughs> anyway, um, it's like yeah, there could have been like a second humor magazine, and it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, so like I I I watch movies, and I've seen a fair amount of movies. You know, I don't watch that. <laughs> that many these days but like i have seen a lot of them in general and i compare movies to other movies and this is just something i can't help but do mm-hmm. and like i said i totally uh compare um you know the the structure of this movie is very uh altman-esque um i think here with lionel i really uh saw even though in a way he's a mirror image but i saw something similar to uh, Spike Lee's character in Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's not, he, actually he's not an outcast, it's actually the opposite. He gets along with everybody. Yeah. You know, but in a way, because he gets along with everybody, he also doesn't belong with any one group. Yeah. So it's kind of a similar dynamic that he has, where he's like, you know, either he doesn't belong to any side or he belongs to all sides, but in any case, he hasn't picked a side. Yeah. And so he's, like, straddling that line, and he's the, you know, character it's really easy to latch onto because, at least as an audience member, maybe you don't know how you're supposed to fall or which side you want to pick right in, and it's easy to identify with a character like that, you know? Yeah. And his arc in the in the movie, um, going from, you know, uh, someone who just has no identity at all, doesn't really want to... Uh, think about, you know, issues and like what, you know, racial issues and like his, his sexuality, all this stuff like is, is pushed to the back. And by the end of the movie, he's like breaking bottles and pushing stuff off the table and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm seeing Spike Lee throwing the trash can through the window yeah. and do the right thing. That's- There's something about the built up, like this built up hostility. That, that the character doesn't even know is there. Yeah. Until they're able, until they have a moment to, to, to express it physically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have this weird, like, they both, and I think similarly, like, have this moment of clarity mm-hmm. where, cause in, in Do the Right Thing, like, he goes off and like, and like, uh, you know, he sees what happens and, uh, there's like a minute where he thinks about it and then he just walks over and grabs the thing. And it's kind of similar with him at the party where he's just like, what the fuck? Of course, in his case, he like goes off, gets other people, then comes back. Yeah. So it's a little bit, it takes a longer time for that whole thing to play out. But I definitely saw that, you know, influence there and do the right thing is I really love that movie. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to have that structure, you know, um, I, uh, but, but I, 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 I wished I, I, on another level, I wish I wasn't being reminded of that movie because, you know, then I start comparing it and then I'm thinking, well, you know, the, 
this guy, you know, this guy's not as good as John Turturro or, you know, mm-hmm. Danny Aiello, like some of the characters. I mean, you know, it's not, it's, it, Do the Right Thing was Spike Lee's third movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, it was, it was much higher budget than this one, I believe. Although I don't exactly know. Do you know what the budget of this movie was? I think it was like $200 million. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> I believed you. It was and then all I was like, CGI. <laughs> oh the, the trick was they hired all white actors, Holy but then they had to darken them in post-production. Yeah. That them. whole campus was all CG, man. Yeah. Dennis Haysbert is just a CG <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, but a CG uh, Dennis Haysbert is actually cheaper than the real deal. <laughs> Which is even cheaper than Forrest Whitaker. Oh, God. No, uh, the budget, let me see if I can find it really quickly. Uh, it looks like, uh, this isn't telling me. Uh, no, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't see. Okay. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it's, it's really just that, like, I think Spike Lee's first movie was, and like, the the tone and the sensibility and so on, like, there's a big difference between what he's doing here and what Spike Lee did, but they do have some overlap, yeah. and it's hard not to compare them to some extent. Yeah. At least for me. And, like, Spike Lee's first movie was She's Gotta Have It. It's nothing like this. Yeah. Spike Lee didn't get to do the right thing until later, mm-hmm. you know? He's coming right off the bat trying to do this very ambitious, very, you know, like, usually the yeah. first movie is a much more stripped down kind of thing. That's what I was saying at the beginning. Yeah. And, like, work up to the super ambitious, you know, like, Reservoir Dogs first. Yeah. Not then Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yeah, or Christopher Nolan, you do Following, yes. then you do Memento. Exactly. Yeah. You do Memento first. Like, yeah. it was just weird. And so I feel like he somehow did... He did the crazier movie first, and he never did the simpler, stripped-down, basic movie to, like, as a warm-up exercise. You know, he just came out of the gate with, like, really uh, ambitious, fully realized, like, ideas running together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, anyway, like, I... Um, uh, it just, it, it took away a little of the sequence for me because I just started, I was just comparing it to the do the right thing sequence, which I think it, it just, it's more visceral. I mean, in do the right thing, they like, you know, uh, you know, crash in the windows and like burn the place down. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's just so much more dramatic than, than what happens in the movie where it's just like, it breaks a few bottles and like knocks over some turntables and then like kisses the guy in the front lawn, but it's like. Yeah, but then he gets the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy, and the guy beats him up, you know, but like, there, I mean, in Do the Right Thing, there's a death, you know, like, yeah. there's, there, the cops are involved, yeah. like, there's a whole like extra. Do the Right Thing is way grittier. It's way, yeah. it's, it's not as heightened, I don't think. That's true. That's true. Definitely. But I, I think it, it is a little bit heightened from reality. There is something there, but it is definitely a lot more like um, uh, down to earth and like in your face. Yeah. Um, and like, let's have some like for real violence and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You no, know, I think this movie doesn't want to quite go there. Like, yeah. Like hardcore violence. I mean, that's just a bit much. 
You know, but like that, that moment was so powerful in Do the Right Thing. Echoing that, but in a sort of tamer version mm-hmm. was a little bit, I don't know. It, 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 it took a, it took away from it a little for me. Just that comparison, which isn't really fair, but that's what's going through my head. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. it's fair. I mean, you know, but, and it's also the 20 something year olds who are watching this movie might not have seen Do the Right Thing. That's know? true. It's a very so, old movie at this point. That's yeah. So that, that's part of it too is the, the, I mean, and I, I think this film has a very wide, uh, I mean, I think, Everyone can get something out of this movie, which is which is in itself a rare feat. I think no matter what your kind of age or background is, there's something here you haven't seen before, um, which is, which is pretty pretty cool to be able to do. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the I think it's fair to compare. Uh, you know, it's in the same territory. The reason that I think it's I, I mean I agree that it's fair. It's in a sense it's fair to make the comparison. But the reason that I I'm reluctant to make the comparison is just because I do the right thing is not, I mean, that's, it's, uh, I mean, most films come up short if you compare them to do the right thing. Like that's a very, in my opinion, a very high standard. Yeah. But I, in a way that's a compliment. Like yeah. I'm, I'm holding this movie up to a standard like that. Like I'm, I'm evaluating it on the level of like, do the right thing is one of my favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if it's not quite up to that, that's not really right, right. so much of an insult. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's, I mean, it has to be, it has to be put in context. I mean, for a first movie, if I compare this to She's Got to Have It, I, I think it would probably come out quite impressive, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. I mean, that's a much, that's a, just a much smaller, simpler, just kind of, you know, basic rom com kind of movie. Yeah. You know, it, th- there's nothing bad about it, but it's certainly nowhere near the level of uh, uh, sophistication that's going on in this movie. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, in a way, it's, it's, I, I think I'm harsher on movies the better they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if a movie, if, it has to be uh it has to be good to be worthy of criticism i think in a way otherwise you say oh that was bad what's next yeah right yeah exactly or like or like that was okay like it yeah, did it's its job the thing you can say about something right any art that's okay yeah that means yeah, like, move you at all you you should either hate it or or love it if you, if, it, if it didn't <laughs> affect you then yikes what was the point yeah yeah like that was adequate. I don't know. Like I really, I really feel like <laughs> perfectly adequate. Perfectly adequate. Put them to the side. <laughs> I, I really see potential here. Like I'm excited for the next movie he makes if he can make another movie. I mean, I know he he funded this with Indiegogo and took it to festivals and eventually got picked up by a studio. And so like this wasn't. You know, I mean, Do the Right Thing was funded by a studio from the start. Yeah. And the studios were different back then. Oh, yeah. You know, they funded, I mean, even in the 80s, it was worse than the 70s. But, like, studios have really uh, drawn back. uh, They pulled back on, like, funding smaller movies like this. Yeah. Yeah, They would much rather fund a $200 million movie than a $2 million movie. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, like, the it's 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 harder to get movies like this made, which is unfortunate to me because like this is like what I would want to see more. I would go to the movies more if more movies like this were out there. Yeah, you know, um, this is you know uh, really what I'm looking for. But so yeah, so I hope like I hope this is successful. I hope he can like make another movie. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, and I also hope that it it illustrates that. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's doing pretty well at the box office. I mean, all things considered. Um, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know. I just hope that it, it illustrates that there is an audience for an intelligent film that deals with complicated issues. Mm-hmm. Like, in and of itself, just that in and of itself. But also that there is an audience for, uh, complicated realistic portrayals of black characters that are not about like you know just recreating stereotypes for for Mm -hmm. mass entertainment you know yeah no it's a very old the movie definitely has an old school sensibility i think of just like here's some people yeah, yeah, and he's like, he's went to film school, like, it's clear from the references in the movie that he knows film in general. Yeah. Um, you, it, it comes across that he's got that, you know, uh, old school aesthetic as far as like, the, the film is paced very deliberately as well, like, that was really striking to me. Yeah. I was expecting it to be a lot more like, rapid fire and and those partially based on the website you know and a lot, a lot more jokes and stuff like that but actually it's it's very you know i i really enjoyed it like i i mean i was sucked into that whole thing and it really just makes me think like there's uh i see like huge potential here and definitely like a tv show would be very interesting yeah yeah i think that would be a great uh i think a tv place. show is the perfect perfect place for this yeah because like these days like tv really is the place where people do get funding to do interesting things yeah. and that would be you know a great opportunity to uh explore a lot of the characters in more depth and like fill in some of those things that you know they didn't really have time for in the 108 minutes of this movie 108 minutes wow <laughs> anyway lost yeah of course can't get away from it no it's always there yeah, it'd be interesting to see what. Um, yeah, I think it's doing fairly well in the box office for the for the the release uh, it has. Um, uh, I guess. Yeah, I'm curious to know what uh, uh, what level it needs to before somebody says, "Okay, we need to make more of this," or or before it's used as an example to greenlight uh, other other types of films like this. Um, but yeah, I think. Hollywood has has always, um, or re- more recently, just been reluctant to have any sort of movies with any intellectual uh, themes in it. Um, and I guess TV is just a place for that these days. But yeah, it, it's nice to not have, um, uh, you know, to see a movie that's not explosions and aliens, um, that actually has real people dealing with real issues, that's... That's not preachy and it's not mm-hmm. condescending and it's uh, doesn't try to have all the answers. Um, and yeah, it's, it's I can't think of the I mean, 
Yeah, and even like going back to Juno, like a movie like that again, like what was interesting about that was the style, but to me the subject matter wasn't interesting. Um, you know, yeah. so I think here you have the subject matter is interesting, the style is interesting, the vision is very specific. Um, that's a lot to get right, I think. Um, in any movie. <laughs> I've yeah. seen worse movies from some of my favorite directors. <laughs> you know, I yeah, have, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, that I would never watch again. But, but yeah, even seeing this a second time, it was still just as entertaining. Uh, just to defend Juno a little bit. I, I actually did think that the subject matter was interesting. Um, I just thought that it tried to be a little too cute. Mm-hmm. And that was my my beef with Juno, but I I mean I thought that it had some legitimately funny moments. It had some legitimately yeah. tender moments, and like I don't know, I, Diablo Cody is just a very different sort of storyteller, uh, and I think you see that with I, I never saw Jennifer's body, but I mean you see she went a pretty different route. Yeah, I <laughs> I prefer Jennifer's body to, to Juno. Um, I uh, but. You know, it's it, you know the subject matter is important to how much you're gonna like something. So yeah, that the kind of horror story thing that's going on there, I thought was way more interesting. I'm a huge fan of her for United States of Terror. That was a great TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, a lot of cool stuff going on there. I think I saw Young Adult, but by as you can tell from how I'm saying this, <laughs> uh, that's what I thought of it. Um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, you know, part of it is 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 yeah, what is what the subject matter is is how much are you interested in it, and then then the execution matters too. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so, just in defense of Juno, <laughs> Someone I, mean, I, 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 I yeah, I mean, I thought it was hugely overrated. Um, yeah, that but, was my main problem with it. It wasn't a horrible movie. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's horrible, but just in terms of, like, the quote-unquote someone's first movie thing. And, right. Mm-hmm. I'm to think of other big first movies that got that kind of um, acclaim in recent years, and I, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't really think of um, hmm. their versions like that. That's the one that sticks in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going back to Reservoir Dogs. I mean, is that too old? Like, that's a long time ago. Yeah, point. what's the in like the last ten or twenty years? Yeah. Um, I don't know who are some direct who who even exists anymore. I, I God, I'm so essential yeah. question. <laughs> I'm so out of touch. You know, because I feel like the 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 so-called like auteurs who who make you know interesting movies for the studios like uh, the ones I'm thinking of I mean they're all you know they they made their mark a while ago yeah and and they're and they're still just riding on that basically I mean they they continue to make movies that make money but they have their clout because of what they did a while ago so I'm yeah. I'm looking at a, an article ten greatest films by first time directors um. And, uh, so one that comes to mind that I would pretty much agree with was, uh, that movie Attack the Block, that sci-fi action movie from oh, Joe Cornish was pretty well done. I, I wouldn't put in the same quality as, 
Uh, do you know why people are Jew now, really? Because it's, it's an action movie. Um, yeah. But it was very good. But then every other movie here, of course, uh, Reservoir Dogs is here. But every other movie here is old. It's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Night, Night of the Living Dead, uh, Steven yeah. Spielberg's Duel. Donnie Darko was the mo- more Donnie recent Darko, one. Donnie Darko, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and of uh, Citizen Kane, but Orson Welles doesn't count. Citizen Kane, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he had a lot of experience with a lot of stuff before. Uh, Steve McQueen doing Hunger. I did not see that movie, but I know he's done a lot of uh, highly acclaimed films. But yeah, I, I actually haven't seen any of his movies. Yeah, I haven't either. He's most acclaimed director whose movies I haven't seen. Yeah. Are you serious? Not one. Haven't seen any of them. You, you didn't see 12 Years of Slave? No. Yeah, I, didn't I, see haven't, I haven't seen any of his movies. I didn't see Shame. I meant to. I, I saw shame. shame. It's really upsetting. It's a really upsetting film. Yeah, I mean, they looked like they were going to be really unpleasant. And yeah, so, yeah so. that's like his thing. Uh, yeah. Seems to like really unpleasant subject matter. Yeah, exactly. No, I feel like I should see some of his movies at some point. He's he's like a, yeah, modern day like art director, but I uh, just have not seen it. Yeah. I've not seen Hunger. Yeah, I haven't um, seen any of those movies. But yeah, he, I, when you said Steve McQueen, I, every time I hear that, I still I still think the actor. Yeah, the, every, yeah it's, it's it's a tough name to have, I think. Um, and I guess you know, and, and I guess because he's he's not an actor, he didn't have to change the name or right, think differently. So yeah, uh, but it's interesting that it's like yeah, Steve McQueen. It's like can can I be Orson Welles the director? Yeah, I don't know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ride that name. <laughs> Orson, yeah, Welles back, Orson Welles is back directing, guys. Go see, <laughs> see his latest film, Escape from Outer Space. <laughs> Guess who's back? <laughs> Nobody saw this coming. Yeah. I feel like if someone could come back from the dead, it'd be Orson Welles. Sure, sure. <laughs> he would be really, like, uh, grandiose about it. Did you believe that death could keep me captive? <laughs> oh my god, that's so ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he will himself back from the grave if anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alright, anything else about the, the movie? Did we cover all the big things? Uh, I was gonna say, um, I feel like the, the, I mean, it, it, it ties into her, like, identity and, like, the whole speech she has at the end, but mm-hmm. the whole subplot with, like, uh, Sam's, like, father being in the hospital or whatever, like, yeah. I felt like that was a little underwhelming, like, some, like, they set it up early and I was like, ooh, where's that going? And it, 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 it just goes to the obvious place. I mean, I, I thought that was sort of a weird, I mean, it leads somewhere, but it, uh, I don't know. That's mostly, I agree. I think, I think what I get out of that really is paid off with her ending speech because it really is the time where she explains a lot of her issues with her identity and sense of self is she basically reveals that she has a white father and the whole thing about walking and holding his hand and, and how people perceive their relationship and you know 
and their connection to each other uh, and how that related to her dating the white guy and what does it mean for her to walk and hold this white guy's hand and her running away from that and like so that that really I feel like that was really just to set that up it gave her something to be upset about when she needed to be uh, conflicted with some extra like life things that just happens you know mm-hmm. so she should get a phone call from her mom and have to deal with that and I kind of like that it not that I wouldn't have wanted more for it to matter more, but in terms of the details, I kind of like that we didn't hear the mom's side of the conversation. We didn't really know what the dad was going through. I like that it was mm-hmm. just kind of like amorphous problem, amorphous life right. issue that imp- imposes itself upon you at at bad times uh, because that's what happens in life. Um, but uh, but yeah, really, it just comes back to I think if I think if she didn't have that ending speech, it would have been way more flat. Uh, but you realize that she's been dealing with her father. She's been dealing with you know her issues as a character are wrapped up in her issues with her father. She's dealing with issues with her father medically throughout the film, and then that kind of comes full circle to her dealing with with Gabe. You know, so it yeah. works in that kind of structural way. But yeah, it was very. Uh, light on its impact on the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, another thing is, like, I would like to, and this isn't exactly my thing, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, I would like to have known, like, the impact of Dear White People, the radio program, like, on campus. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like it wasn't really woven into the story very clearly. I don't know. And, you know, Do the Right Thing is also framed by, like, a radio program. Mm-hmm. And there's there's more of a, a sense of, like, the characters listening to it and, like, how it... Where, whereas, like, in the movie, it wasn't clear, like, who's listening to this and, like, how, how widely known is it? Like, to what extent does it yeah. impact? You know what I mean? Like, I, I sort of wanted a little more of a sense of what what its role was on campus. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got people who were reacting to it, but you didn't get the sense of who the audience was, and people talked about it. But yeah, you didn't really see like the black kids listening to it and agreeing yeah. or disagreeing, or the white kids listening to it and agreeing or disagreeing. You did, I mean, but you'd have people comment about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so it's a, I don't know. I mean, it's not such a big deal, but because like that was that was in a way the outward representation of that side of her personality and like that aspect of her character, like um I I I would have liked that to be a little more incorporated or or developed in 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 the story. Like it kind of feels very fringy, especially because it's the title of the movie. Like I I expected it to play a bigger role in the movie than it did, but actually uh, in a way it doesn't matter at all, like, you know, like, except for, like, what it makes her character, Mm -hmm. you know, what her character represents because she does that show, but, like, you could kind of just take it out and this movie would still be the same, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's more of a launching point for the story than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was surprising. Mm Mm-hmm. That was not what I was expecting. Um, let me think. Okay, I think that's the end of my issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I think we... 
I mean, in a sense, I feel like we only really scratched the surface, but also it's been, you know, two and a half hours, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's just a lot there. So I look forward to seeing what's going to, you know, what the next conversation will be. Yeah. Was there, what, what, do you guys have any, like, your favorite moment or a learning moment or a shocking moment or a line that was like, wow, I can't believe somebody said that or anything like that? It, it, for me, it was Coco's line at the end that I don't remember. <laughs> Does that count? Is it, it was it the uh, nobody wants a motherfucking Harriet Tubman uh, that that whole speech? Nobody gives yes, you know, yes. Harriet Tubman. I think that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, that that little thing when when she's on camera in the in the place that was that was my favorite part. Of yeah, this. yeah, okay, yeah. I think that's yeah, that's a great that's a great moment. That might be mine too. Yeah, I think that I, um, there were a lot, there were a lot of, there were plenty of others, but that, that was, that was one, that was one that really took me by surprise. Yeah. And in general, that was what her character did for me. Like I, I, every time she was on screen, I was like, what? Like I, I just kept like not expecting what was happening. And so that's why, like, I found her character so interesting. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, that's, Yeah. I think that was the that was the standout, but she had a lot of good scenes. And actually, I mean, the other characters had a lot of good scenes too. I liked a lot of the scenes. But anyway, that's a, you have to pick one. I picked that. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I yeah. I guess if I yeah, I want to pick two. <laughs> um, Cheater. One was, uh, yeah, I know, right? One was from the very beginning when I think that it's Kurt calls into dear white people and asks, you know, how would you feel if there were uh, dear black people? Mm-hmm. And her response was, no need. You know, the the mainstream media tells us every day what white people think of us. Yeah. You know, so that was one of them. And then the other one was, was her reaction um, to... Uh, to the implied accusation that she was the one who sent out the invitation, you know, when she says, uh, oh, yeah, that was really good. When she says something about how the, uh, how the invitation should have been, uh, how people should have reacted to the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great moment too. So, yeah. And you, I think, I think the, I think both when Coco comes to the party at the end and she's, She's like, let's investigate this. You know, mm-hmm. why do white people do this? Why do black people do that? Let's let's investigate. I, I thought that yeah. was an interesting way to look at what was going on. And then her response at the end of that sequence, um, um, which I can't remember the exact line either. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like the greatest speech. No one can remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's like something about Rosebud. <laughs> uh, Rosebush. Um, yeah. I and you, Orson Welles. <laughs> I'm already damned. Um, yeah, I think that was another great part. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I liked a lot of the, the little quieter moments with the characters. Um, I think Coco, the Coco and Troy scene after they sleep together was an awesome yep. moment where you see these people good. connect. That was really interesting. Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, love, when, sorry. I was going to say, I love when 
we know Troy smokes pot, and then Coco says, "Do you smoke?" And he says, "No." I love, I love that. I love even being unguarded in this situation. He still has his guard up a little bit longer till he does eventually give in. But but he never admits it. That's that's it's still this like thing where he's still not going to just say, "Oh yeah, I do." Like he's yeah. just going to not be the Troy people expect him to be. As yeah. long as he can, as long as he can hold out. Yeah, I after their conversation about how Calandria doesn't pass the resume test. Oh yeah. Then in the end, when she says uh, she just wants people to know her name, and Troy says which one. Mm-hmm. That I think is a really fantastic. Uh, yeah. Line. Yeah, those are those lines. There's so many lines like that where if somebody says something. And then somebody responds, and you go, your brain explodes. And you're like, yeah. Oh. yeah. There's no answer, you know? The yeah. They're not in the position to answer the questions, you know, because uh, it's realistic that way. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly the answer to that is. Yeah. Or if she really knows what the answer to that is. Mm-hmm. And does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Does it matter which name they know you by? Uh, is, is your identity your name? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, plenty of famous people change their names for a wide variety of reasons, and they're known by some name that isn't the name they were born with. Yeah, and, you know that can be as simple as it's the way it's the way it sounds. Like yeah. it's just kind of cumbersome to say, and so they change it to something easier to say, and it doesn't have that connotation. Or it can be because they want to hide their ethnic origin. There's all sorts of reasons, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And like, is it automatically bad, or is it just part of show business? Or I don't know. Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. It is. So, what was the makeup of the theater when you guys saw it? I don't know, there were maybe 15? 10, 15, yeah. And I think we were the only white people. Really? I think so. When we came in, I think we were the only white people. Okay. We may not have remained the only white people. but um, Yeah, that might be true. But then when we were, you know, at the at the end of the evening, it was like 10.30, and we'd seen it in this mall, and so we were sort of moseying out kind of slowly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as we left to wa- and walked out into the parking garage, this black couple maybe in their late thirties or something or I don't know, maybe mid thirties asked us. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. The the woman just just turned to us and like and and asked us, like, did, did you like that movie? Mm-hmm. And because uh, I guess she did not, she had not liked it, but her husband or her boyfriend or whoever the guy he, that she'd gone with really yeah, liked it. Yeah, he liked it, mm-hmm. but she was like, I didn't like it. And uh, yeah. Interesting. And yet, it was, like, cold and late, and we didn't get to really find out uh, why. why. I mean, we didn't have, like, a long conversation. And, yeah. like, I, my head was still spinning, you know? Yeah. Like, I, when I walk out of a movie, like, it takes me a minute to process and, like, think about it and, like, come to terms with it and, you know, really, like, like iron out my opinion about it. And so yeah. at that point, I was like, yeah, I liked it, but, like, I, you know, it was harder for me to really elaborate yeah yeah i mean i sort of said i think i just said yeah i i liked how intelligent it was um but it wasn't as funny as i expected it to be and i told them about how on the website there are those little videos that are really funny yeah um and uh and yeah that was it 
But, um... Yeah. But, yeah, I, I really, in hindsight, wished that I had asked why she hadn't liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, are, like, are white people not seeing the movie? Like, is that a thing? No, they are. Yeah, I would I would think so. I yeah, mean, I, when I saw it, there was, there was a lot, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um... I mean, there just weren't that many people in the theater, and there's yeah. a lot of black people in Columbus. Yeah, that's true. Um... I, I I get I'm interested when people you know don't like something and it's uh, and you know you want to find out why and sometimes I think the reason is it makes them uncomfortable mm-hmm. you know so one of the early reviews I saw like the New York Times had written about this movie and reviewed it and I was looking at the comments and some person said oh the movie's anti-white mm-hmm. and to me what that says is is the movie made you uncomfortable because it told you things you didn't want to think about. That's what I'm hearing you say. Right. Uh, And uh, that's not a bad thing if you're uncomfortable. Um, That means that you're confronting uh, ideas that you don't normally think about, you know, Uh, because there's there's really no way you can say the movie's anti-white. Well, it makes me wonder if that person actually saw the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen some of that on the IMDb uh, thing for the movie, like some of the user reviews. Like, it seems like there's a knee-jerk reaction, just, like, based on the title yeah. and, like, some vague sense of what the movie is, and, like, they're, they're just yeah. ready to react. But, to... It, but, again, it goes back to that idea of reverse racism, this idea of you, you know, when you have a system of power, you, you it's like it's like the people at the bottom can't throw stones at the people at the top because because the power system says nope, nope, you can't do that. It's against the law. You can't, you can't say we're doing anything bad, you know. And it's that thing of like, you see that a lot, and you see that that whole idea of okay, if 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 black people want to talk about what it's like to be black, and that bunts up against what it, you know, racism and prejudice and those things, then automatically this conversation is null and void. You know, and I think yeah. you see that theme a lot, and that is that is what racism is. That's exactly what it means. You know, it's like a, a form of despotism of saying you can't deride the leader, you can't you can't call out the inequities of the system by virtues of the system itself. You know, so that's so when I see somebody go, oh, this movie's anti-white, that means that you shut down the conversation right there, that you don't explore what the movie's talking about or what the themes are talking about or what ex- people's experiences are, you just shut it down right there because it's uncomfortable for you to deal with what, you know, what the realities might actually be, you know? And so it's such a, it's such a frustrating response. It's, it's understandable to a degree. Um, but again, it goes back to privilege, you know, that you, you have the privilege to say, nope, that's that's racist against white people, you know. Affirmative action, that's racist against white people, you know. Yeah. It shouldn't happen just just to stop it now. And it's like, well, okay, let's look at this in a larger context and see if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that people, uh, I think that anybody who's going to post that sort of thing is, is never really going to watch the film because they're not going to want to give their money to that. They're not going to want to be seen going into the theater seeing it. They're not going to want, and and quite obviously, they're not going to want to open their minds up to seeing portrayals of other people's experiences that that might make them uncomfortable. Um, Those people are just never, you're never going to win them over. No. Because they're just too closed-minded. 
um, you know, they might people people like that could move a bit in their beliefs, but not much. Yeah. And uh, but you know, I mean, I think it's like with gay rights, you can you can have people who are on that end of the spectrum. They're on that end of the issue. But if you can move enough of the rest of the people, those people will look more and more isolated all the time. Mm-hmm. And their ideas will become more and more fringe. Um, and, and I actually think this movie is, like, pretty gentle in a way. I mean, it's not, yeah. like... It could be far more confrontational than it is yeah you know it's very introspective and like it's not i don't know i mean it's not the movie people think it is yeah and i think the title the title is is confrontational yeah uh, but it but it's on purpose uh partly because justin has a background in pr and marketing and he knows yeah we're going to talk about a film called dear white people and not um you yeah, know, Winchester University, uh, or whatever right. else you might want, could call this movie. Uh, you know, yeah. um, incident on and off a college campus. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, an awesome title. Awesome title. Uh, a little long, but it's great. Um, yeah, so so it's it, yeah. uh, and I think that's you know, so I think there are people who walk into the movie or the arts, you know think about the movie with the they start with their arms folded and in a defensive position um you know because it's like oh here's a movie that's gonna you know tell me about myself okay yeah right mm-hmm. here it comes um yeah you know. but it's funny because it's like even that, even if that's what the movie was which it isn't we can't have one Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, totally. Couldn't you just have one that's like that? Yeah, that's, but no. That's, no, that's no, what I mean. Can't. Like, it's that idea that you can't have anything that's going against what the system wants to ha- happen. You know, you, there just can't be any tolerance of that, you know. And I think that's why people yeah. uh, people shit on Spike Lee so much. I mean, the people you hear denigrating Spike Lee, they don't see his movies. Yeah. I mean, they maybe see his sound bites from interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was true. Yeah, back uh, back then as well. I mean, it's yeah, it's. Uh, uh... But yeah, on the other hand, like there there should be room for like just a you know blind rage movie. Like, why yeah. not? Yeah, like yeah. I, you know, I don't I don't see why that shouldn't. It's really the least exist. we can do. To allow you to have at least no, 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 not allow. I mean, oh, I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, but but I mean, yeah, I and I think what's what's particularly striking about this movie, and in terms of this like argument that it's anti-white, is like it's. I mean, to use the the television network jargon, it's ripped from the headlines. I mean, there's nothing that is portrayed in this movie that has to do directly with white people that isn't something that has happened yeah. over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and most of the movie is not any more about whiteness than it is about blackness. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, certainly you can't talk about one without the other, and you certainly can't talk about a marginalized group without talking about the dominant group. But, uh, because the marginalization becomes part of the identity, and yeah. the marginalization exists because of the dominance, but 
I mean, a lot of the movie is about black people interacting with black people about blackness. Yeah. Yeah, it could be easily called Dear Black People. Um, yeah. Or Dear People, you know. Um, dear, dear America. Dear America, yeah, yeah. But, anyway. Awesome. I also wanted to see more of her show, of her radio show. Yeah. Like, I, I wanted more of that. Yeah, what does she do? Does she, like, play music and then just, like, in between go, like, dear white people, blah, 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 and then play another song? Or does she talk? For, does she have guests? Like, I, those are those are questions I had. That was part of, like, wanting to know more about the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, It did seem like she was a DJ, but... I don't think that was the idea. I think it was more talk radio because she had people call in. So maybe she had like a topic of the day or something. Yeah. But it seemed like it would have been a short show. Uh, but yeah, it's, I, I agree. More more of that. I mean, that's what you would get in the TV show. She would, she right. would be right. doing that more. Yeah. I would really like to see the TV show version. I would, I would, I would, love, I would love a Netflix show. Like a limited number of episodes, but like not like network TV like standard practices i want like oh no holds bar do whatever you want but like something that's has an original voice to it and uh you know there's some cable channels that it could work on but i, I think yeah. netflix would be a really cool place to have it and just get it all at once 13 episodes or something and a season 13 episodes, bam. boom 13 episodes one night yeah, I mean, as long as it's better than Arrested Development was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, I think that wraps up our little podcast review of Dear White People. Um, fun conversation, guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely. Excellent. Well, I know I'm a little less racist after this conversation, <laughs> so I think we can all safely say. <laughs> Problem solved. We did it. We, 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 we ended racism, it. guys. Who, who thought it was going to be here? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. All right. See you later.